Hello and welcome to a very special holiday episode of Normandy FM. I am one of your co-hosts here, Eric Van Allen, joined by my co-host, Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? You know, this game that we're going to talk about today has been out for several months. I haven't really had a chance to talk about it at all. I feel, and I feel like everything I want to say has been you know, bubbling up inside me like an orb that could explode at any minute. And so I'm ready to finally explode on this podcast. I know that was a thinly veiled Gale reference, but I also need everyone at home to know that this is for my benefit because Ken has had no outlet for this for the last <laughs> few months except me. And I need this to go somewhere. <laughs> so uh, welcome. Yeah, we're doing the Baldur's Gate 3 spoiler cast here on Norm DFM. I mean, it, it just makes sense that we were going to do it, right? It was going to happen no matter what. And of course, we couldn't do it without some excellent guests. So first up, on the docket we got ash parish ash how you doing i am also finally excited to explode about baldur's gate but for completely different reasons so thank you for having me <laughs> and also joining us james whitbrook james are you feeling like exploding um not anywhere near any general populaces only by giant mm-hmm. brains but there you go. otherwise yes likewise likewise ready to combust in a netherese fashion before we get into that, of course, we are Norm DFM, a retrospective podcast. We are still doing Near Replicant. I promise it is happening. But uh, we want to take this little holiday time to talk about Baldur's Gate 3, especially because everybody's in such a Baldur's Gate 3 mood with all the end-of-year talks and game awards wins and speeches cut off by the teleprompter. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it's... Uh, if you like what we do or you want to listen to what else we do, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We've done Mass Effect in the past. We've done Dragon Age. We've done The Last of Us, Final Fantasy X, Cyberpunk, Jade Empire got in there somehow. <laughs> you can head back and listen to our entire backlog on the podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support what we do, you can go to patreon.com slash normandyfm and back us any amount gets you into the backer discord where you can hang out with other backers of our work and i'm just going to shout them out this week our highest tier gets a little shout out every single episode and this episode that list is john warren andrea sheeran joshua jarvis seth pitts darius pippins shane erickson cypress catwell and christoph vice thank you all so much for backing us at that level and helping us do what we do uh, it's probably going to help us with getting to places like PAX East. I'll just confirm this episode. Ken and I are going to PAX East. We've got some crazy plans in mm. store. We are, I will confirm here, we are repitching Video Game Tinder as a panel. And if our current guest lineup holds, it's going to be really, really wild in a way that y'all ain't ready for. <laughs> so... um just get ready for that. I hope we can pack the house again because that was a wild time last year, uh, and I did not expect to see such a turnout or a response to the the panel. But everyone really showed up for that one, so <laughs> I hope they give us the late night spot again. I think that was mm. crucial. You know, it was. Every, everyone was done with the convention. They were looking for one of those late night uh, panels to hang out and have a good laugh at, and there we were with a bunch of fake tinder profiles about video game characters for people to swipe on and uh it really worked out well Look, we're not to decide one of the best who ideas goes you've ever had. yeah one of the best ideas clearly like, like <laughs> i i'm now mad because we have to think of other panels that match up to that idea <laughs> uh which we, we we have a few we're bouncing around we might do two we'll find out 
Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to follow us, uh, I'm at CMoosey on, on Twitter. We also have at Normandy FM show uh, for as long as Twitter holds. Ken is at ShepherdCDR. Uh, Ash and James, do you want to plug your stuff real quick at the top before we get going? We can start with Ash. Yeah, um, if you like the noises my mouth makes, um, <laughs> I make them frequently on Twitter. Not really, but <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at, at Astra. That's A-D-A-S-H-T-R-A. And you can find my writings at TheVerge.com. And James? Uh, yeah, you can also find me on Twitter making highly inappropriate jokes about bear druids um, at Jay Winbrook. <laughs> uh, also doing exactly the same on Blue Sky just a few seconds later, um, mm -hmm. depending on how quick I can copy and paste things. And then otherwise, you can find me and my writing at um, gizmodo.com slash io9, where I run the pop culture and entertainment desk. Heck yes. All right, let's talk about some Baldur's Gate 3. And to start, I, I really want us to go all the way back to the beginning because I think sometimes the way we talk about Baldur's Gate 3, it, it was almost like, where'd this game come from? Who could have known that this game would be huge? And I, Ken, I know we've had discussions about this, but the mm -hmm. early access for this game launched around 2020. And this was something that a lot of people, I think within certain communities i don't, I don't want to overblow it you know i don't want to be like oh everybody already knew about this but i feel like there were some early indications that this might be something a little bit different cooking early on ken what do you think about the early access and sort of the expectations that that set from larian starting out yeah i think for me it was kind of a, a realization that i guess of how long it had been since i had something like Baldur's gate because even in this you know this rough early access stage where i was trying not to get too invested in the decisions that I made and trying to just kind of feel my way around this world and kind of get a sense of it because it, it had been, I, I'm not a big CRPG person up to this point, but I was definitely enamored by something that felt very much like a, a Bioware game we had not had in a while. And I remember you even recommended it to me on those merits being like, hey, this is kind of Bioware th that we have been missing for a long time. And so, you know, that sales pitch to me, you know, off the cuff was like, all right, you, you have my attention. And then... It, it, it's funny to look back at early access because I feel like it did play, like playing through it initially did kind of inform how I was coming into the uh, the main game because I, I already had some sort of like preset expectations about like who my character was going to be, how I was going to play this game. Um, and then having, you know, opinions on the characters that had kind of shifted by the time the full game came out because characters were not, you know, they, some of these characters have been completely rewritten or basically not even the same person anymore. Um, and that was just like, you know, a, an interesting sort of way to experience one of these games. But even with, you know, things that maybe I was maybe a little bit more disappointed with by the time the main game came out, like it just like set such a strong expectation for me to be like, oh, this is kind of something that I've been missing for a very long time at this point. And so my expectations were very high, uh, even, and they were broadly met and uh, exceeded in a lot of ways. But yeah, I, I think that was just kind of my, my feeling playing through it. I played through like twice in early access, uh, start to finish. And um, yeah, it, it just really kind of sold me on this thing that I was going to like just devour when it finally came out. James, what was your experience with the early access, if you had any? Um, yeah, I had some, but my, my Baldur's Gate experience started uh, much earlier than that. Um, I was, well, was like... I was going to say I was a fan of the of the older games in the series, but I really wasn't. It was my older brother um, who mm. loved 
Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 and played them obsessively. And I would always watch them over his shoulder. So I had like this, I had an awareness of the franchise and sort of the experience of what it was like. So when 3 was announced, we were both really excited, very surprised by it. Um, so when like I was on board for early access, launched it, um, I was kind of worried in a way because like I had tried mm. to get into Larian's past games, um, the Divinity Originals in games, and I just like, they just didn't click with me. Um, like, while my brother stayed in that sort of CRPG space, when I, as I was growing up, I sort of made the divergent path to, to JRPGs and stayed there. Um, so, like, I was trying to come back into it to, to get into that mind space. And I was worried that this wasn't going to click because I hadn't clicked with their past stuff. Mm. And I fell hard immediately. It was like Ken said, it was like sort of like this being presented with this world and the choices that they had like even in that nascent space because like i played like day one of early access when it was crumbling steam servers to pieces um <laughs> so like even that in, even in that very early form when it was basically pretty much just like the opening bit in the goblin camp i was like i was just blown away by the sort of things that you could do the way the the combat interacted with the world around it how how hard it was like being murdered by those intellect of errors on mm -hmm. the beach like mm -hmm. seven times in a row and i was like why is this so hard um and yet i kept going and like i just immediately and i loved it so much that after i did that first playthrough the first character i did was um was a cleric which was not my smartest idea considering shadow heart <laughs> was there five seconds later but um <laughs> Like I, I did a, I did a playthrough up to the end of the Goblin Camp with with that character, and then was just like, I'm not going to touch this for six months. Like, like that's it. I'm done. I'm happy. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for this. And then obviously early access kept going and going and going and going. And so I eventually went back to it. I think it was about a year and a half later. It was when it was whenever they introduced um, the sorcerer to. Um, as one mm. of the extra playable characters so i went back and did that and that and by at that point like ken said like they had rewritten characters they had they had added more stuff um, like you could go to the underdark at that point and so it's like i was sort of i did all that and was just sort of like hit, it came again as like the second wave like i'd sort of called off from it just because i hadn't touched it for so long and then came back and was just immediately back in love so like yeah i had really high expectations coming into the full game and i was just like and it wasn't even like i wasn't scared it wasn't going to match them i was just like holy shit i get the rest of this game now mm. and mm. yeah like, i ended up just like loving it to pieces ash was uh your experience kind of similar in, in dabbling a lot in the early access no actually kind of like yes and no so uh, you have to remember that uh, Early Access came out three years ago, and it might as well have been 20 years ago because sure. <laughs> how different our brain chemistries were back then. And I have like almost no memory of anything that happened in 2020 except for like COVID and maybe a little bit of Baldur's Gate Early Access. But kind of like uh, James, like I did not like any of Larian's previous games, like mm. Divinity Original Sin. That, like that game bored me to tears. Like I remember, I have vivid memories of falling asleep while playing the game with my hand on the mouse and my character like running into a wall because I've dozed off because the game was so <laughs> boring to me. 
<clears throat> and I didn't even know that that same company had made Boulder's Gate 3. I don't know how I got into the early access. I was working at Kotaku at the time. I wrote a couple of pieces for Kotaku mm. at that time about it. I have no idea how I got into it, but I just did. And I ended up really enjoying it. But I only played Act 1. Uh, when I hit the wall with Act 1, I completely put it down and completely forgot about it until, you know, when the game released earlier this year. And I just, like, fucking went hard for it. Mm -hmm. I think it, I know we'll talk about this later, but it filled the gigantic uh, Dreadwolf-sized hole mm -hmm. in my heart. So mm -hmm. I needed, like, some kind of, like, life-changing RPG, and it happened to come along at the right time. Yep. And, man, that's a game. That is a game. I'm very excited to talk <laughs> more about this silly game. I mean, so broad strokes, we all like this game. We all enjoy this game. I don't think there's... I, I'm sure we're going to critique and nitpick some smaller things because this is Normandy FM, and we're not going to just let everybody get by. But <laughs> uh, I, I do... I had the same experience where I dabbled in early access here and there, but I hit a point uh, where I knew that I just wanted to stop playing, and I think it was when they added the Grim Forge uh, to early access. And the second I entered that Grim Forge and saw just how much larger even just Act One was uh, <laughs> than I thought any other game could be, I was like, I'm done here. Uh, I'm going to wait. I'm going to come back at a later time when the game is finished and I get to experience the whole thing in its entirety. Uh, I followed the news updates and all the, the patches and things like that, but I, I refrained from playing because I knew that uh, I wanted to roll my character and just experience the whole thing in one go and oh i i adore this game i this this game is i've spent the last week podcasting for another podcast called acts of the blood god where we were getting all of our holiday pods in order and a lot of them were very retrospective looking back on the year best game of the year type stuff and i routinely find it very difficult to put into words how much I like this game just because I'm afraid that my words do not accurately convey how deep this game is, how much I keep finding more and more to love in it. I am still playing this game and still finding things that I did not even know could exist or would exist. I was literally playing the epilogue last night with, with Ken watching and something happened that neither of us expected to happen and we were just dumbfounded by it and uh i have another solo playthrough going and a co-op playthrough going that we need to pick up <laughs> ken mm. and also <laughs> friends of the show uh tatum and jesse but uh, I, I might start another co-op campaign soon because i've got friends who aren't even like usually into this kind of game but they've heard enough about Baldur's gate that they want to try it and they're like oh well we'll try it if we can do a party and we can play multiplayer and i'm like oh it's not really like the way you should play it your first time but <laughs> if if it makes you eat the vegetables i will get you to eat the vegetables <laughs> and, uh i just i i love this game i i can see myself playing this game and enjoying it for years and years to come and definitely it's one that i'm going to think back on and i want to talk specifically we can talk more specifics now uh because again full-on reminder at this point if you haven't figured it out this is a spoiler cast we're going full spoilers uh gloves off 
unhinged we we have been holding back i've been holding back spoilers about this game for ages i feel bad talking about things that are in act two when i'm around people that don't know and i'm tired of pretending like i don't know who the emperor is so (laughs) we're just gonna roll i i have not been able to say the name orpheus aloud in like eons so uh probably because the casuals are still somewhere in act two right now yeah yeah, and, and, and a lot of people the Xbox people just now. started like last week. Yeah. So it's like the, yeah. the goalpost keeps moving for like when we're allowed to talk about this game. Yeah, it's, my it's brother, my brother started with with the Xbox because like mm. he, he doesn't have a gaming PC at the moment, so he's he's dying to wait. So he's, and like he's not started yet, but he was looking at the at the player characters and he was like, "What's the deal with Shadowheart?" And I was just like, "Nope, I'm not saying <laughs> anything. Nope, this is for you. Yeah, enjoy." Yeah. Well, let's talk about those characters, because I'm just going to put this out on a limb, see if it sticks. Uh, I think this is one of the best RPG parties we have had in years, Mm -hmm. probably since I would compare it to the original Dragon Age Origins party in terms of just like good characters. And I would even say it over like it beats Dragon Age Origins in terms of its characters. Uh, This is and you skipped over the actual good cast in that series. I, okay, but mm, we can we can argue about Dragon Age later. But <laughs> <laughs> I I would say that like this is hands down one of the most memorable RPG parties I've seen in a very long time, and I love these characters. Ken, I'm not even going to make you just talk generally about the characters. I want you to put forth a character to talk about. I know who you're going to say, but please put forth the character. Oh damn. <laughs> hmm. Well, I mean, normally I would talk about. Gail is like my lover in this game, but also like if I only get to pick one. No, we, we, we're, we're, this is not. We're only going to limit to one. We're, we'll talk about however many characters <laughs> well, we want to talk about. This is our fucking podcast. But, but I, 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 even even so, I want to lead with Carlac, who I think is mm. easily like the standout yes. character of this game that embodies mm. like mm-hmm. all the best parts of its story, uh, in in ways that were like interesting to me coming in because like I mean I, I don't have a lot of um D and D or like Forgotten Realms experience so. It, it, a lot of these characters ended up kind of being like my tour guide through the world as a person that was, you know, brand new to it. Her dealing with, because like that, that's the thing is like everyone in this game is kind of dealing with, we need to get these things out of our heads so we can continue to live our lives. And she is one of the people that has to deal with like, I'm getting this out of my head, but like ultimately my life is likely still forfeit. And, or, or my other options to go to a place that was just torture for me for the majority of my life. Again, like she, embodies the camaraderie of this game. She embodies, like, the fatalistic sort of, like, or, I guess, rather, like, fighting against your your fate uh, side of the story. And then just, like, I, I also gotta, like, give a, a shout-out to, like, the cast in general, I think, is excellent. But, like, that monologue that Carlock has at... Oh, boy. In Act exactly 3, after you take... Oh. Yes, exactly. After, after you mm-hmm. take out Gortash, is, like, burned into my fucking brain as, like, just, like, mm-hmm. a standout moment of not only this Baldur's Gate, but, like, a performances and... Oh, uh, yeah just moments of this year uh, in a way that I think in my first playthrough of this game, like I, I was kind of, I wasn't necessarily just completely like mainlining the, the main quest, but I, I did there, you know, there are plenty of things I didn't get to see. And even in that first playthrough, I feel like I missed out on a lot of Carlac's story, but like that moment was just like so striking and just like elevated her above all these other characters to me. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'm really going to forget that for a long time. Cause I just, that, that character is so special and like in, embodies what makes this game special to me. It's because it's real, because um, usually in 
video games, especially with character-driven games, like everybody gets a happy ending. You know, mm-hmm. you beat their mm-hmm. boss or whatever, and everything's resolved. And with Carlac and with actually a lot of them, it is not resolved at all yep. in a way that is very real. Like, you beat the bad guy, and then what? Like, you still got to deal with this other nothing right. nothing is resolved nothing is wrapped up nothing is cured nothing is mm-hmm. saved like okay yeah you got your little revenge plot but at the end of the day like no you still have like this you know allegory for chronic illness and you're gonna <laughs> die and you have to and it's yeah. like it's not fair and like it's not fair like life is not fair and this game gets at that in ways that other games just like okay we're gonna have the nice happy ending because we don't want any bad feelings and this is like nope we're doing this shit for real and sometimes the good guys they don't win in the end right and that was that was kind of like my broad feeling about the game anyway is that like when you know the the core you know push is the tadpoles in her head but everyone's just got some other shit that is like just as dire happening to them Mm -hmm. and that was largely some like that that was something that really drew me to a lot of these characters was that like yeah you know everyone's got this immediate problem but everyone's still kind of fucked up and in a lot of cases with the exception of like you know carlac is kind of unlikable at the outset like everyone's got some like really annoying trait about them that makes them kind of insufferable for a bit and you know you, you as you feel back those layers and everyone kind of deals with how we are all very complicated and have our own shit going on that was just like something that was really striking to me is that like there weren't you know again like with, with the exception of Carlac with um, Halston as well I think you know oh, hold on hold on hold on you said what? everybody has an unlikable trait Carlac does when when you complete that thing where you take out the paladins of tear and you're just sitting there you're maybe looting you might be a little low on health because it was a tough fight and you're just trying to pick some stuff up and all of a sudden Carlac lights the whole fucking house <laughs> on fire and it's just running around breaking shit that was awesome <laughs> what are you talking about yeah i i had to reload a save because everybody dropped <laughs> was... wait you so stayed that... in the you stayed in the building as she was i was menuing fire i was menuing <laughs> well look you need to be more aware of your surroundings that's that's on you clearly clearly Carlock being like, hey, don't menu in an unsafe place. Huh. But generally, like, TLR of what I was saying is just like, I, I like that everyone had, like, again, like, there were, there weren't, like, immediate favorites that it felt like the game wanted you to gravitate toward that were, like, quote unquote, like, safe spaces for you to just, like, decompress from the drama of what was happening because everyone here is the drama. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Carlock is is far and away one of the better characters in the party if only because i think everybody just walks away the same just <laughs> even if you don't romance carlock you want to like be best friends with carlock carlock is like there for you right away whoever gave carlock the you know the the line the the habit of uh calling you soldier mm. uh i want to buy you a drink <laughs> i want to i hope everything good happens to you in the future that you just have good stuff going because every time even when i was playing the epilogue and she shows up she's like how's it going soldier i'm like yes yes <laughs> carlock's here hug carlock uh and i i also want to preemptively as we're talking about characters shout out that so much of what makes these characters good is not just the the writing and the characterization, which is incredible, but also the voice acting and the mocap mm-hmm. performances, which I do think add a layer to all of these characters uh, and, and make them so memorable. So shout outs to Samantha Bayart. I, I hope I'm pronouncing their name right. Uh, <laughs> who is absolutely incredible as Carlock. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, James, any, any Carlock thoughts? Um, yes. Yeah, so like, when I played when I played early access, Carlock wasn't 
a character at all yet um, right. in either mm-hmm. in either times I played it. So she was she was like my surprise treat getting into mm-hmm. the full game. It was like here's this here's this whole new character, and I was like I quite like I felt bad about it after the fact, but I quite unceremoniously dumped Lazelle as like the tank of my party because like mm-hmm. oh big lady with sword sorry bye mm. she's she's new and shiny um but yeah like it was just that mix of like like you said like you desperately want to be her best friend because she's just having the time of her life despite the fact that you are all wading through like right. the weirdest shit that's ever happened happening all the time and like she's just there like covered in guts and viscera and it's just like fuck yeah and it's just like <laughs> really enjoying it and then when you peel back the layers of sort of like that damage because you get you get like you get the quest about her heart like pretty much mm. early on in at one after you've met her and and it's like you go to the grove and meet damon and you think like oh oh here's the here's this thing i'm gonna fix and then it doesn't get fixed and it's like oh mm. like well we'll see damon down on the road to balbus gate it'll be fine and then it's not fine and then, and like, it just sort of like, no matter how many times it gets worse and like, no matter how many times, like the plot of the game is expanding and getting more and more dire, like her, her optimism and her need to just be like, no, let me enjoy this moment that I have mm-hmm. now. Let me have all these tiny little victories that I get over the course of the game. And it's like, I wanted her to have that. Like, there is never not an option, even though it's like, I, I'm probably never going to romance Karlak just because like, out of habit, I tend to, if I can romance as a as a gay character i will mm-hmm. i will do that but it's like every chance i got and like that moment that you get with her after damon tells her that um he can't fix her a heart but it's like he can reduce the heat down enough that she can touch people it's like i will always hug her immediately i will never mm-hmm. do oh, any of, of those other options it's like no fuck that you are getting that hug damn it um like i just loved her to bits and and like everyone else has said like the culmination of her story with Gortash was just like I had to get up and mm-hmm. walk around for a bit after yeah. it because it was just like like for personal context I was playing like when Baldur's Gate launched like twenty twenty three has been a bit of a weird year for me um mm-hmm. and I was like like that was my escape and like I I was dealing with a lot of the same sort of like. Not, not very specific. I did not have a tyrant of bane in my life, being <laughs> selling me to a devil. But like, like the sort, the anger that she felt, and then just like having that moment of relief where she was like, "I was so angry for so long, and now, now what do I do? Like, right. nothing. Like this, it's not fixed. Well, well, like, what's going on? And like that moment of confusion and heartbreak for her just really hit me. And it like, like she like by far and away is my favorite um character in the game like like we were like like you were saying eric like at work we're doing all of our year in review stuff now and like even though we largely stick to movies and tv stuff it's like everyone was like have you heard the good word of carlac cliffgate <laughs> because you're gonna hear the word of carlac cliffgate because mm-hmm. i run this website so mm-hmm. screw you um but yeah like uh, i like in a in a cast the I love mouth. I've been very blessed that like I've had two of my favorite RPG parties in a very long time in the last year or so, which is last year I got Xenoblade Chronicles three and mm. like mm. and I would have said like that is that is the, the best set of characters in an RPG in years. And then Baldur's Gate three came along and was like, No wait, this <laughs> is it. So so yeah, like I, I just love them all. We we are eating good when it comes to incredible parties. Ash 
would you like to put forward a character to discuss? So <laughs> it was funny that uh, James was talking about how Carlac was like a, a little treat for him. Uh, my treat, <laughs> which if any of you know me, you already know what I'm going to say. Uh, Halson was my treat because yes. he was not in early access. I don't remember if he's even in the goblin camp at the beginning of early access. I don't, I have no recollection of this man at all. And then I actually played the game and I'm like, I, you know, I get into these games and I try to think like, who am I going to romance? Like these, this is, you know, a monumental uh, question that I ask myself mm-hmm. when I play these games. It has absolutely nothing to do with the game itself or my experience playing like the quests and things like that. It's like, no, who I'm going to bang. And I wasn't really sold <laughs> on any of like the regular party members. Like we can talk about a staring later. I have a feeling that will come up. Uh, <laughs> maybe possibly I'm a little side character. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you haven't, <laughs> but like none of the main party people were like, hit, like hitting for me at all. Like I, I'm sorry, sure. Kenneth, but I don't like Gail. Uh, Will is a sweetheart, but like, I don't know, man. It's just, I need a little bit something spicier. Sorry. And Asterion is just like, no, I want to stab you in the neck. But and then I meet this big fucking bear dude. And I'm like, yes, I will climb you like a fucking mountain. And then I had to jump through nine goddamn hoops in order for that to happen. But holy hell. Was it worth it? The funny thing is, is like when when Baldur's Gate was like first like coming out when it was ramping up to the actual like full release date, and they were doing like these uh what what were they calling like podcasts from hell or whatever the hell? Oh no, that was Diablo. Maybe I don't know. Panel Doesn't matter. Um, they had these and they were like showing you like the options in the game and then you know the thing. Oh, that you're hit talking Twitter about the, was, the panels, the panels yeah. from hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then the one of the things that they used to advertise the game was like, you could have sex with a bear. And I'm like, I completely, I was dimly aware of it. Didn't really pay attention to it. I'm like, okay, cool. Whatever. I did not know this was the bear. (laughs) 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 And I'm like, Oh, Oh, like, how do I want to do this? Anyway, great times. Like I absolutely love that mountain of a man. I wish he got a little bit more to play with, Mm. but he is just, I have a tendency for these games to like go for the paladin types and yes will is kind of the paladin type even though he's like a warlock but like that there there's my paladin there's my there's there's my alistair there's my there's my cullen you just they're right there <sighs> could talk about him forever, but i'm not gonna do that okay everybody else tell me who you banged oh are we just outing ourselves and telling on ourselves right now <laughs> i mean that's uh, what we're here for this, okay. that's the boldest gate three experience uh well, I'll, I'll go first since I re- responded first. Uh, Shadowheart in my first playthrough because I am nothing if not predictable. Uh, and then in my current Dark Urge playthrough, I think I am romancing Lazel. Uh, we, we're we going to talk about Lazel at some point, but uh, Ken. Uh, so I, the thing the thing was, when I, when I played Early Access, I was like ride or die for Will. And I loved his like roguish swagger that, and that was, you know, the vibe of him and early access. And then we get into the full game. He's like, wait till marriage early. And mm. I'm just like, I, this is, I, I am the internet's biggest Kate and Alenko stand, but even I have like a limit to how like <laughs> boring you can be. Even below. No, okay. I, I think Will is great, but just like, and there, like, again, like I need a little spice. I need a little, you know, something going on. And then somehow I ended up, gravitating towards Gale because I was one I think they, they updated his model he's, he's much more handsome in the main game than he was in early access and then I was actually really compelled by his story of like having this like you know this huge fucking ego like he's a big fucking mansplainer who 
like feels like he's got like all the all the answers to all your questions and but he's also like a lot of that is trying to like make up for that he he feels very inadequate in a lot of things and it's more like he's trying to convince himself more than anybody else and so i just like really compelled by like being like this love story about two people where one is kind of just like trying to bring him back to reality of like your life does not have to be this giant larger than life ego trip like you can be content with the mundane you can be content with you know being back here on ground level and that was just like really sweet to me and the the sex scene is like one of the craziest things i've ever seen in a video game that i can't believe they actually like got from the idea phase into putting it into an actual thing they put out for 60 dollars um so yeah that that was my horrors gate 3 love story james uh yes like ash in my first playthrough i worship at the church of Mm. the mountain the moment (laughs) the bear of my heart holson um and it was like it it was that moment like when when they did that first panel from hell um where they showed the the bear sex scene i was because like i had romanced or i'd started will's romance um in early access and that that was radically different to how it was in Mm. in the final game but like but it it wasn't quite clicking with me there so i was just like 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 ash as well i like i was going through the party members and like once again sorry ken but gail was just especially especially at launch when like he had like i know it's not his fault and i'm talking about it like he's a real person and not a video game character made up of pixels but like that bug where he was he was like really aggressively coming on to you like no matter how many times you interact it's just like mate you've eaten my shoes once can you just like cool it (laughs) like please for the love of god it's embarrassing um so like i'd i'd gravitated away from him there but it's like I sort of knew from the get-go coming into the main game that I wanted, I wanted to romance Halson because I wanted, mm. I wanted that scene. I wanted like, like he's an elf, but he's also built like he's a so brick big. shit house. He's, like, so he's, he's so big, and it's like you, when you get that option to like just like just to say to him, it's like, it's like, are you aware that you're a very large man? And he just sort of laughs it off. But it was just like, I, like I need you to know that I know. Like, despite the fact, like, like, my first character was a dragonborn, so I was like, I'm only just a tiny bit taller than, a uh, tiny bit shorter than him. But I was just like, you sir, you sir are a large man. Um, so yeah, I loved, I loved Halson, and I love like, like, almost like, I, I really enjoy the act of, of chasing him, because I knew that was the character that I wanted to romance, like, mm. I was quick saving before every conversation you could have with him beforehand, because <laughs> like, I've got to, like, I'm doing this right. I gotta like, do this right, I'm, yeah. I'm ge- I'm getting I'm getting this one, and it's like, the fact that it's a slow burn does mean that sort of like like his like his actual arc is sort of like very backloaded mm. when it comes to the romance. Like you only really get to it in Act Three, but it was just like, I really enjoyed and those moments when like he was indicating things like yes, I do want to become closer to you, but like I've got stuff going on, but I am interested. It's like. I was giggling like a little schoolboy. <laughs> Kicking your feet, <laughs> yeah. Like, I think there was, I, 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 I clipped one of the things that he says, like, I think it's like near the end of Act 2 when you're actually going to Baldur's Gate. And he, he's, he says something to you, and I can't even remember what it is right now, but it's like, I was so flustered. Like, in the act, like, like actual myself, I was like, like oh, yeah. Whoa. You gotta stop. You can't do that. 
Like, it's like, stop it. It's stop it, please. Not what, but who, but we'll talk about that later. And it's yes. kind of like a wink kind of thing. It's I'm like, like oh, my I'm being God. courted by a fake person and I need to and step I'm outside falling for a minute. It. Like, yeah. it's, it's like, I am the mark. So yeah, I really loved, I really loved Halsin, but in my, I'm doing a, a Dark Urge monk playthrough at the minute. So um, I've been romancing Will and yes, he's very sweet. He's very, he's a tiny little puppy that casts Eldritch Blast every three seconds. And mm. like, I don't love him for his Eldritch Blast now. I loved him for his Eldritch Blast in the first playthrough, but now I love him as, as the sweet, adorable man that he is. And it's like, he's, he's a little boring, but... <laughs> He he now he now offers to pirouette me before we kiss, and I think Aww. that's very sweet. Aww. I uh I really like Halsen too. I I think it took me a while to to come around to Halsen because at first I was like, oh, here's this character who's kind of just in the party, but not in the party, and it's just kind of tagging along, and wasn't really sure, you know. I, at the time I was like I thought he was going to be a party member but maybe not and I was like did I mess something up did I do something wrong I think the thing I ultimately like came around to with Halsen was that a lot of times when we have these big beefy dudes in games they're either like Rex from Mass Effect where it's this like grizzled mercenary uh, almost like Mike from Breaking Bad and I love that I love that character archetype I do Um or they do kind of the the um <laughs> how to put this lightly uh big dumb and stupid type where mm. you have kind of the the meathead the uh, was it Raphael in Fire Emblem Three Houses who just is a big brawny oh, yeah. dude who loves to eat stuff all the time yeah uh and I kind of thought Alzen was going to go down one of those roads and the more I talked to him the more I was like oh he's like he's definitely gentle giant heart of gold but you know talks about poetry and mm. loves nature and he's well read. whittles, he's got whittles his shit ducks. Together. Like he's and the only one who has like little a 401k and health insurance. Mm-hmm. And in yes. Group. Like I and, competent. And, hello. Yeah. Mm. He, he does all that. And then he makes sure that all of the, the people that he cares for, the Thaniels and such are his code, you know, codependents or whatever. Like he's got them set up with health insurance too. They're all good. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I think it was interesting just because I, I had this discussion on another podcast recently that that's like a version of just being a big beefy dude that you don't see very often in video games. Usually that gets very archetyped, that gets very troped out. And to see not just a, a gentle giant, but like one who is caring, loving, says, even if you are just pals, says like the sweetest things to you all the time, is like genuinely joyful to see you whenever he does. And in the epilogue, when Halsen showed up and he was just like, oh, I would love to regale you with stories and you can tell me that I can tell some back to the kids back home and stuff like that. They'll love it. And I was just like, Oh, Halson, you're like the Mm. best. You're sincerely the best. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a really cool way that they took that character that I'm glad they did. Um, Yeah. I love Halson. Can we talk about Lazel? Yeah. Let's talk about Bazel. I freaking lovely. Originally, like Ken, I would have gone with Shadowheart first, and we can talk about Shadowheart. But Lazel won me over so fast 
in mm. the really when you get to act three and some of the big revelations about the githyanki and how vlaketh and all that like plays into the greater story as a whole uh comes into play uh, i didn't even so i went all the way through act two all the way up to the end of the gauntlet of char and as i was about to walk into it lazel was like hey we were supposed to go talk to my crash like hours days weeks ago you you made me a deal and we need to turn around and go there and so i was like okay this is clearly the game being like we need you will not be able to do this content if you move forward and i i owe lazel this she has been tanking for me and fighting on the front lines i owe her a few favors <laughs> so i went and i did the the crash and i think that is genuinely maybe one of my favorite parts of the game just in terms of the the wild stuff that happens there both in terms of the actual uh combat and the puzzles and the world and then when you actually get to the the room where you talk to Vlacketh is so oh i love that scene so much that is so good because if you are a little shit she will fuck your shit up like i know because she's like a god right and if you don't show correct deference like she will like i gamed over in that screen like i was just being like Mm -hmm. fuck you i don't care you're you're not any authority i recognize here and she's like oh you want to play that game all right fine you're all dead which i thought was really funny little like hey you can't play like this all the time we will Mm -hmm. fuck your shit up there is a power structure in this world. Um, Funny as shit if when people get that and then they didn't save before the fight before, so then now they have to deal with like that entire thing again. There are people, I have seen people playing honor mode who lose their runs oh. on that conversation oh, tree, and no. that is the funniest thing in the world. Uh, but I, I think what I ultimately found really compelling about Lazel as a character is that her story is about someone who has been raised in this religious zeal who has been taught one thing her entire life and then sees it crumble around her and be revealed as pageantry as fake as built up on a lie and she has to grapple with that and she has to deal with that and i i feel some certain ways about um the fact that she kind of just pivots from being a Vlacketh stand to an Orpheus stand, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, initially I was kind of iffy on that, but number one, seeing her right off on the ending on her own dragon to go fight a civil war in, in the Gith Plains was like, hell yeah, go, <laughs> can go fight. Uh, but the epilogue kind of like really tied a good bow on it for me where she she makes note that she has become like more of a diplomat as much as a warrior and she has found like meaning and uh a role for herself beyond just being able to swing a sword real good and i think that is what ultimately wins me over for lazelle is that she starts out very like i am here to serve a purpose to give my life and my blade for vlacketh and then she does end up finding a new cause to fight for but more than that she finds that she has greater worth outside of just a life to give and a blade to swing Mm -hmm. and we we talked earlier about how everyone kind of has these literally dire circumstances that they're in going into this like it's i think it's fascinating the way that Baldur's gate 3 uses the tadpoles as a way to basically put a pivot point in everyone's lives where Mm -hmm. asterion is able to escape Casador and mm-hmm. and try to find a new life because of the tadpole and the mind flayers and Shadowheart is taken out of years of mind wiping and um, abuse 
thanks to the tadpoles and it represents this pivot point for all these characters who are at potentially there's their lowest lows and and careening towards the pit and they and through tab you get to try and either pivot out of that or lean into their worst tendencies which we can also talk about <laughs> at some point but uh i i really do i i really like blazel's story and i get bummed when people don't experience Lazel's story because apparently a lot of people just keep missing Lazel or having her die or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to multiple people now who just finished that game without Lazel in their party, and I can't imagine what that's like when you don't have that companion mm-hmm. tied to the Gith story because I do feel it's crucial and it's important. But it's apparently very easy for people to miss characters in this game, which is like, like stresses me out just like as an observer of other people's playthroughs to be like, oh, you missed out because like you went one way instead of the other on the beach you missed somebody on the other side and yeah like the thing that really sticks out to me about this game is that and and i think i'm very cognizant of this just because like i think think because of this show and having done the mass effect 2 season where you realize that like structurally a lot of those characters are inconsequential to the main story beyond like their function in the suicide mission where Baldur's gate 3 has like almost every character has some like really direct tie to everything that's going on that kind of enriches plot lines that you might have otherwise kind of not had much like they might not have resonated with you that much so like the thought of just not having any one of them there is wild to me mm. especially Lazel, considering uh the mm-hmm. whole orpheus thing which means like if he's not there if that's not an option that means one of you guys have to get tentacled which is like a mm-hmm. terrible choice mm-hmm. 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 Yep, t- shout out to the people that made that terrible choice because that's just like a sounds like a miserable existence huh couldn't be me. yeah yeah who who could have possibly made the ultimate sacrifice to be tentacled at the end of this game? Who could have Well, possibly... not that kind of tentacled, of course. <laughs> well, uh, hey, hey, don't knock until you try it. But... <laughs> well, let me ask, did anybody here romance the Emperor? I genuinely I a, thought I threw a quick it. save down. <laughs> I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I came close and then and then back to it. Because, like, I know Halsen, Halsen was pre- is, is pretty open about like other romantic partners, but I was like, is he this open? Yeah, and then after you get through the whole stuff with the emperor the first time, like on my on my 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 current playthrough with my with my dark urge, I've just been it's like almost cheating in ways. Like I'm just like I know what you are. No, stop it. Yeah, like fuck that I'm guy. Gonna... Like I wanted yeah. to. <laughs> I I had a really hard time trusting him. Like I want to trust. Mm. I wanted to mm. trust him, and I thought he was a good guy. But at the end, I'm like, no, fuck you. So it, it, it's interesting. Like I I did genuinely get close to him. Because, you know, yeah. he's your guardian and he's, like, you know, trying to help you out and makes himself seem like he's helping you out. And at the end, he's like, no, it's all a big manipulation. And it's like, oh, I never lied to you. I just, you know, massaged the truth in several occasions at every uh, opportunity I could <laughs> because that's you wouldn't been, have trusted me. And- yeah, that's the fascinating thing I've been finding on on a second playthrough. It was like you, like, the first time around, like, I was very trusting of him. And when you get... The moment when he turns, if you start doing stuff that he doesn't want you to, I was like really, really shook me. I thought that was a great character moment, but it's, but he's been fascinating coming back and like seeing all the things that worked on me the first time, and now knowing that they shouldn't work on me, I was like, damn, I was, I was, I was really dumb to believe this guy. But it's like it made me huh. feel bad, even though like I knew I was just, I was, I was setting up my second character for a better opportunity to, mm. to not have his heartbroken but i was like like how did this work i mean the first time you stupid tentacle 
on on the subject of the emperor i do I, I think we should bring up now that the relationship with the guardian quote unquote was way different in early access mm-hmm. like that is maybe the most substantial change between early access and final release that i can think of is in early access when you make that other character which you did at the time that's always been there but they described it as like who do you dream of mm-hmm. and you would have these kinds of like fantasies essentially where you would see this character where you would kind of uh they they were always in their casual wear rather than this this armor that they don in other scenes uh and it was much more i i think what it still is when you ultimately play this game but it was much more like who are you who are you hot for who are you looking <laughs> at what, what are you into <laughs> and uh I, I thought that was really interesting because I think a lot of early access players already kind of ascribed that scene to, oh, this is like a manifestation of the tadpole. This is a this is the personification of the tadpole in my brain trying to get me to lean into my elithid side, trying to get me to be oh, that's more elithid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when early access came or when, when launch came around and now it was who is your guardian? And suddenly that entire relationship and all these scenes that did not exist before uh, start getting added in and, and all the old scenes are out. I, I would really love to sit down with some of the BG3 team at some point and talk to them about that that change well, and how that happened. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell I know you, you now. you had. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you now. I tried to talk to them about that and they were scared of spoilers and did not want to talk about it. So I was like, all right. <laughs> well, okay, but we're, we're, we're beyond the veil. They need to... <laughs> They need to admit. <laughs> we need to talk now. See, um, it, it's funny hearing all of y'all talk about that in the way that you do. Because I ended up... And this it's usually my way with these kind of games to kind of, like, write the story as it's happening and kind of, like, fill in gaps of, the like, the choices that I've made and, like, make a... I could write you, like, a, a book on my custom characters and RPGs. And I ended up kind of, like, filling in the, the backstory, like, the appearance of my guardian and what the the emperor might have been trying to evoke or like uh, trying to kind of like make me feel when I spoke to him. And it, a lot of it did again, come back to the, uh, the original framing and early access of like, who do you dream of? And kind of like feeling like, why does this specific person show up to me? And so I, I ended up, you know, we'll get, when we get to the end, we'll get to the end. I ended up kind of like framing my character's relationship with him. Of like, I trust this person, even if I feel like I shouldn't. And, that played into the final decisions that I made. So I didn't necessarily even end up feeling like super portrayed by him more so that it was like there was this weird compulsion within my character to trust this person on something that is largely unspoken. Um, and that is me being like incredibly neurotic with my head and bullshit. But um, yeah, it's just like that, that how a person views that character can be so divergent and ultimately does factor into the way that the ending plays out. But I had, like, a very different relationship to him than y'all did, it sounds like. How did you end the game? Like, how did it end for you? Uh... Like, did somebody get tentacled? Do we want to wait for that? Or Yeah, well, let's, let's, put, let's put a pin in that. Are there any other characters we want to talk about? Because I think there are, like, two that we should probably still bring up that we haven't talked about in depth. Yeah, there's a vampire uh, yeah, we should room probably, that we need to we discuss. Probably... Before we do that, I do want to say I, I really like Shadow Hearts story. Mm-hmm. I really do like Shadow Hearts story. I think um, it's it's interesting seeing how players feel about Shadow Heart over the course mm-hmm. of the game. I know that there have been many, like, <laughs> one of the most frequent things I hear from people is either they love Shadow Heart or they hate Shadow Heart. 
because she's racist <laughs> towards <laughs> Givyanki specifically. And part of me has always been like, oh, that's because she she doesn't like Lazelle because she doesn't want Lazelle to find out about the artifact, right? Because mm-hmm. she like she knows she took it from a Githyanki ship and she's gonna get in trouble if she like that gets found out. And then eventually I do think Shadowheart and Lazelle's bonding and their character moments together and their banter get really, really good as the game goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had both of them in my party pretty frequently frequently throughout the game and i the two of them together are fantastic uh really really wonderful but uh i i do find that Shadowheart has been a really interesting character to follow and see how people respond to her because mm-hmm. she also you know check me on this if i'm wrong but i feel like she ends up feeling like the most involved in the main story if only because basically all of act two is about shadow heart in mm. some way mm. uh and then uh you obviously have the big change going into act three if you make that choice and then i i feel like that's when her story suddenly you know winds down and you have other characters who get their big act three revelations while shadow hearts kind of feels like a a taper off of the of the stuff that happens in the gauntlet of Shar, but for a huge part of act two, it felt like it was the shadow heart show mm-hmm. uh, in one way or another. But uh, I really, really like shadow heart. I think her, she, she represents like the, some of the aspects we don't always get to see a D and D or we don't always think of D and D, but feel very D and D having, you know, a cleric of a certain God and what that means to them mm-hmm. and how that belief affects the things that they do and the ways that they feel much like Lazel has that zeal for Vlacketh, uh and for Githyanki, Shadowheart just has just as much for Shar and for her belief in Shar. Um, and then again, seeing that that torn away and having to find that new meaning and that new way of living afterwards is is really powerful to me. But uh, Shar love, Shar hate, Shadow Shadowheart, how we feel about the shart as I it works. I want to know where she got a box of silver dye in the middle of mm, right. Shadow Curse Land. Right. Like, bitch, it's like really tucked where to the black hair too. CBS. Like, and it's on. like that that happens like right after you get that the the Githyanki incursion where Orpheus's agents sort of like attack the camp. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. like Shadowheart, you're in my party. Where did you find the time to do this? Like like what's going on? Like I well, love it. Busy, I love it right? for you, but I like to think that Isabel was in camp and Isabel played a role because Isabel also is rocking the the silver mm-hmm. hair. And granted, that might be because she is a resurrected zombie, but <laughs> it's, um, I, I like to believe that Isabel and Dame Aelin had a hand in helping out with that. That is my head canon. I, so. I don't know how they would have had a hand in that because the first thing Dame Aelin says when you set her free is like, uh, "Thanks for setting me free. I have to go fuck my wife really hard right now. <laughs> Excuse me." So I don't know about all of that, which they, was they fantastic. By mm-hmm. the way. They take breaks. <laughs> they don't take breaks. <laughs> Once uh, they reach a level of thornus, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Dame Aelin and Isabel was like the w- when they have that moment at Moonrise where they finally meet up at, at the end and, and have that embrace and all that. I was like, hell yeah, Baldur's Gate three. This fucking owns. Yep. And then every time afterwards, you talk to them, and Dame Aelin's like. I will tell you more of this great impending world danger later, but first we have to go bang. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, get it. You've been in the night song for ages. It's great. It's actually fantastic. Very uh, 
fun how they take some uh, aspects of sex. It's like, yep, nope, this is a thing that we do, and we're going to enthusiastically talk about it, which Mm. is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, do we want to talk about the vampire? Finally talk about the damn vampire. So, I'll say... I really like Astarian. I'm just going to put it out there. I really like Astarian. I did not think I would, and I honestly did not until Act 3, and then Act 3 kind of just sold beyond mm. Astarian as a whole. So that's my quick input. Ken, you were going to say, sorry? Uh, I'll say, like, okay, obviously, like, first, shout out to Neil Devon's performance, which is oh incredible. Goodness. Like, the, the most, like, clippable character in this entire game, I think. It's just, like, every, like, even, like, the smallest moments, that dude is putting in the work. The thing about Astarian would be, was that, like, and I don't really know that I've come around on, well, I get, the epilogue, I think, actually did a lot of work for this. It's like, mm. I don't feel like there's a character in this game that is as unambiguously evil as he is. And I didn't know that, like, you know, people will be like, oh, he's got all this lifetime of trauma. But, like, that dude is, like, approving at the most vile shit mm. that you can do in this game for what feels like no other reason beyond, you know, chaos and destruction is happening in your wake. And he thinks that's fun to watch but i did it's one of those things where like i you know i got to the end of his quest line in act three and you, you see the realities of everything that he's gone through and it the, the whole thing just felt like so like you know you, I, I understand his desperation and all the things that he's felt and all the reasons that he's become this person that he did for you know the majority of the game but it was just like i have seen the depth at which like of depravity of like just like awful things that you're willing to do and like endorse they're like, I don't feel like I can ever really be your friend in this game. Um, as like, as you know, as a quote unquote, like, I mean, not, like as a non-evil character, for lack of a better way of saying it. To the point where, in the epilogue, where he showed up and you know, he's clearly turned on, like, you know, turned new leaf. He's like, trying to be, you know, a hero with these powers that he has as a vampire spawn. And, you know, I, I, I didn't, like, he did not ascend in mine. And it's like, I, I can only imagine how much worse that could be for that route. But it's just like, one of the things where, you know, and even in the course of the show, like, there have just been characters that I just feel like my characters have been so diametrically opposed to that it doesn't feel like there's a lot of common ground for them to have. Mm-hmm. And I say this is a person that, like, slept with them after that, that first party at camp, just because, like, <laughs> I think I appreciate most about Asterion is that, like, I have such a complicated relationship with him in this game, and that, like, I feel like I, the, the ways in which I dislike him are interesting in ways that are maybe not, like, it, the, the problems I have with Will aren't very interesting to talk about, but the problems I have with Asterion are, like, huge like again i could write essays on them and so yeah like i i have a very complicated relationship with that dude and that's that's pretty cool yeah i was i was pretty much um like my journey with astarian has mirrored a lot of that in in many ways because it's like i think he represents the most out of any of the characters i almost thought it was going to be Shadowheart for a moment but um but i think it's him that is ultimately like when you meet that dude he really sucks like not just mm-hmm. not not just literally, not literally. but like, <laughs> like figuratively like he's just a nasty person and like like yeah. he doesn't care about anything that you try to do like he's he's objectively like aggressive like if you are playing like even a mildly good-natured character and it's like my first character was a paladin so he was very sort of like who are hey save the tea things like everybody get along sort of character but like even even on my second playthrough, when I like I was trying to use him more in the party because I didn't, I ended up not using him all that much in my first run through. Um, and like even on my monk, who I tried to play as a, like a bit more like a reserved character, it's just 
Like, Astarian is just there in the background. It's like, what if we took the most depraved shit option? And it's like, <laughs> can you just shut up, dude? Like, stop it. Like, mm. he's like, he's... And, like, that sort of abrasiveness was really interesting to me. Like, even if it meant, like, mechanically, like, I largely kept him in camp in my first playthrough. And, like, it was only really until I did his, his big quest stuff in Act 3 that I started using him more and, like, turned around on him a a bit more as you sort of like you begin to understand the layers of that character but what i what i liked beyond that is like yeah you've learned a lot about him and like like there is some of these moments of justification for like for what he's done but it's also like there's an acceptance of his of himself in that moment it's like yeah i'm also still kind of a dick and mm -hmm. that was that became charming to me in the end like, and, like, how, being able to watch that sort of journey of friction of where it's, like, he's just aggressively up in your face and against you at every turn for so much of the first half of the game. And, like, especially as playing as a, as a good-natured character and sort of, like, disapproving of that and just, like, making all the, like, they're all very fun to watch out of context on TikTok, but, like, all the, like, <laughs> the little snide comments, these is, like, like... I like it now, but every time that he called me darling, like, the first time I was playing, he was just like, no! Stop it, you catty mm. bitch! Like, the, <laughs> like, he was, like, he was actively annoying me, and, like, to, to be able to, to go on that sort of journey with a character over the, the hundreds of hours of playing this game, and, like, being it, and, like, not even ending on his, like, I am not Astarian's best friend. It's like, even, like, at the e epilogue, I got that same epilogue for him, as, as Ken mentioned, where he's, like, like, and 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 I really enjoyed that because it's like he emphasizes like I'm trying like he still says right. stuff it's like people approve of of murder when you're the hero as long as you're doing it to the right, right. people and it's like that makes mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense for you because you're kind <laughs> of a douchebag but a plus for effort I'm gonna go over there and talk <laughs> to Carlac now bye um, yeah. but yeah like being able to go on that sort of complicated journey with a character and then come out of it it's like not like he's still this whole person who has a lot of messed up shit and he's still working through stuff and like that aspect of him i enjoyed more than like it's not like i came out of the game enjoying astarian by the end of it but like being right. able to sort of appreciate that journey was was fascinating to me mm -hmm. i think uh, i'm gonna lose well, i'm not gonna lose any points for this but i i started out with this game like i fucking hate this guy and i got mm. to the end of his like story quest like the first time oh, and if you sorry my husband's watching football he's really interested in vampires <laughs> <laughs> um, and I get to the point where it's like his, his quest and if you don't say like the exact right things to him about that like he you cannot ascend him but you can also like he will break the, the little staff and so you can't save anybody else and he will walk out of the party like a petulant little bitch and I'm like mm -hmm. oh you son of a bitch and I was like oh no I really hate this fucking guy because you have to be really specific in how you speak to him at that moment because uh, it's and it, and the, the choice that I made wasn't even like the wrong choice. It was like a, I, I'm trying to like honor your autonomy here and your sure. wants and your needs and your desires and make space for them and whatever. But I'm trying to remind you that this is probably a bad thing to do. So don't do it. And if you do it that way, he's like, fuck you. I hope you die screaming. Peace mm. out. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> this guy. And the thing that 
made me change my mind about him is doing a dirge run and trying to right. deliberately romance him. Um, and I think I've read this on Tumblr because I'm back on Tumblr now because that's how deep the brain rot goes. Um, <laughs> I remember seeing something from one of his writers and that like the dirt, like the dirge Asterian romance is almost like the canon, like Asterian romance where oh. they have so much more dialogue and the way he responds to you, the darker, just is like, you know, uh, not unrepentant killer, but like this, this killer with this deadly person is you get to see so much more of his personality that's beyond like catty bitch like because he's like mm. all for dirge like he's all for uh-huh. like mm. i totally understand why you killed that poor bard i get it it's <laughs> all right i'm gonna help you through this and that's where which is kind of weird and fucked up uh by the way uh did not know anything about the dirge and i played it for the first time and i was really excited about the bard i'm like oh cool i get to have this bard she's so mm. sweet and then i wake up the next day and i'm like oh god no what mm. happened totally took me by uh, surprise the internet did not ruin that for me so that was fun mm. um yeah he has grown on me a lot and yeah he's a catty bitch and yeah he approves of some terrible things but I think you have to go back and look at them in their context and realize, mm. like, okay, this isn't the nicest thing, but it's also not that bad. It's like he's very mercenary and he's very mm. upfront up about that fact. Like, he won't do some shit if, like, you're not getting paid. But if you're like, I, I'll do this, but you're going to have to fuck you pay me first. And, and that's where he gets his approval from, which makes sense for his character. Mm. God damn it. Why am I the one defending this twink on this podcast? <laughs> I should no. not be. This is not me. This is not how I get down. But here I am. I'm defending I'm defending Asterian girls. So, you know, you've got an ally in me. Sorry. I, I, I am also an Asterian fan. And I, I think it's because one of the things i love the most about baldur's gate 3 is that everybody in the party in their own way sucks (laughs) and they all bristle with each other and they all have ways in which they piss each other off and there is no person that is like categorically good maybe carlock maybe carlock's the best of (laughs) us but uh like like will has all the mizora stuff where i mean people i think tend to forget this because it starts out very early on and gets resolved pretty quick in the grand scheme of things but like will was ready to murder carlock without hearing her out if mm. if mm. because of his pact and like you you get to see how he is this person that is driven by this pact i've actually been really curious to in a playthrough where i could ever stomach this go through with that and see what happens as you continue to play through mm. the game with will like that and what that looks like for his relationship with Mizora and all that. Uh, but on top of that, you know, Gail eats your shoes. Lazel hates everybody. Shadowheart it snarkily hates everybody. And I think Astarian is one of the more bristling characters in the group. And even if in a fun way, but he is leaning into a lot of the, you know, violent tendencies, like you were saying, Ash, and it is on this, dark urge playthrough that i am also doing right now where i'm starting to understand astarian a bit more but also see those sides of him that are empathetic and understanding towards what my character is going through in Mm -hmm. ways that other characters Mm -hmm. don't really cope with or understand right and i think just astarian's general story as being someone who is 
a like survivor of basically being abused underneath this vampire lord for hundreds of years at this point and wanting to seize back some level of agency and power now that he has the capability to and what does that mean for him and how is he going to react to it is he going to do that in a healthy way is even more powerful when you are playing as the dark urge and have a similar thing happening in your life and uh yeah again i can't stress enough that that neil's performance in this game is is absolutely fantastic and sells Asterian super well the wait let's not do something hilarious is one of the best lines <laughs> in the entire game uh but yeah I, I there's obviously a reason why Asterian is is well loved he he does embody a lot of tropes i think i, I saw someone say that he's like the exodia of romance novels put together or something like that like he is just the end point of all these different tropes of uh, romance lead Edward Cullen type shit. Uh, but I, I do really like him at the end of the day. Also, in your party as a combat member, he he wrecks if you build him right. He is absolutely terrifying if you give him the right tools to, to do the right things. But uh, yeah, yeah. Before we get into combat, because I do want to talk about combat... Uh, Ken, you specifically say you would like to talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about <laughs> you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Uh, but also, I want to bring up the general narrative of horniness around this game that you've also mentioned mm. here in the notes, Ken. Yeah. And I think this is fascinating because I'm going to bring forward the comment that everybody loves to hear. As a straight dude... <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do think it's weird sometimes when I hear, especially other straight dudes, look at this game and be like, oh, everybody just wants to fuck in this game mm. and stuff like that. Like, number one... It's really hard to fuck people in this game. It, yeah, number one, like, like fucking people in this game ain't easy. But uh, number two, I think it's even more so just that a lot of the characters are a lot more open in the ways they talk about romance, sex, mm. love, and all the different ways that they themselves talk about it. Like Lazel smells the blood on you and wants to jump you. And it's just a casual thing for her. Mm. And then mm. getting into her actual romance is a completely different situation. Right. Whereas Shadowheart uh, is one of the few characters that you don't have a sex scene with after the goblin camp, but that blooms over time it takes a long time to get there mm -hmm. and i find it really interesting because we've talked before on this podcast ken about certain games even games that we love that literally make banging your romance character a xbox trophy that pops when the cutscene rolls <laughs> and i think the way Baldur's gate 3 handles this stuff is way more interesting way right. more like genuine way more tied into the narrative and the characters than I've seen a lot of other games tackle it. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm of a few minds about it, because part of me, like, that... What's the kindest way to say this? Like, part of me feels like there are just some people that, like, might be prudes that have, like, this issue with sexuality being brought up in, like, this very, like, free, natural way. Because, like, it, there is, like... A lot of nuance to every, like every character in this game has like a kind of different approach and view on sex and again like in a way that's not comparable say like the mass effect games where a lot of people kind of have like the same sort of path that you follow where okay you know Baldur's Gate gets into relationships that are you know polyamorous that are rooted in like bdsm 
or are you know there's just there's a lot of nuance to its take on these things that also ends up playing into the world building as well because like you know there are relationships like gales and halsons that are built into the D D lore of Baldur's Gate 3 that really were just like fascinating to watch unfold because they are it's, it's the kind of sex thing that you're going to only see in a setting like this and it helped like in, in a wild way like it helped me understand other dimensions of this world and I think there's and, you know to give like the, the least charitable read I think a lot of it, it is largely rooted like a lot I think a lot of the issues people have are largely rooted in being uncomfortable with characters of different genders like making advances on you like this goes back to like the Anders issue of Dragon Age 2 where mm. everyone is still like paints that character as this like I don't even know like the, a nice way to even say what people call Anders in terms of his relationship to romance and sex and just like you know uh, making advances to people but it's just like I, comments about this game being like quote unquote too horny feel largely disingenuous and like I think maybe you need to surround yourself with people that are maybe more sex positive mm. not to call anybody specific out but just like I, I do feel like there is a sort of um <laughs> Like, I, I, there's, like, a weird training wheels that a lot of people don't take off when it comes to talking about sex in media <laughs> that I think Baldur's Gate 3 has really just kind of uh, exposed some people on. Because I think the game's relationship with sex is real in a lot of ways, even when it is doing these really fantastical takes on love and sex and romance. Because um, I just think it's one of the best sort of AAA examples of, uh, you know, Technically, don't don't get me on indie and AAA uh, labels uh, this close after the Game Awards. But um, in terms of like a game of this level of production that is really trying to have you know these really crafted, well produced sex scenes uh, that are you know different for every character that kind of explore different facets of their relationship to sex and the way that sex is it manifests in this world uh, is all really fascinating to me. Yeah, that's been really interesting for me um, to often because like like. And I have played into this online a lot as like the fun of of Baldur's Gate three as the horny games like sure like there is there is a fun element to that but to, like for me as an asexual person like it's been really interesting to see a that reaction to it because it's like like it's it's fun to call it the horny game but at the same time it doesn't really feel that way to me a lot of the times like like you said Ken like the way sex is treated in this game is both. Like, there is both, like, a great deal of importance to it in the context of the moments that you are having it, but at the same time, mm. it's also, like, it's very casual. It is just part of the way these people interact with the world and the people around them, and, like, it is. And and getting all these different views of it as well, like, you can have, like, like the scene with Halson and the bear stuff, like, obviously sounds very outlandish from the outside looking in but like in the moment like the context of that and like how he treats your mm. character during that moment i thought was really interesting to look at and and like says a lot about him as a character and you get to see that mm. through like the way each of these characters deal with not just like the concept of love like like that's also the great thing about this this isn't like I feel I feel like we're going to be ragging on a lot of Bioware stuff by the end of this, but, it, but <laughs> sure. this does not feel like the Bioware romance. Like, congratulations, you have achieved the character arc of banging, mm. and that's it. Like, <laughs> that character is done now. You've 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 sexed them. That's it. Go away. Like, here's your achievement. Have fun. Like, and the way that like these romance scenes come at different points in these characters' arcs and journeys and can mm. change depending on how much you have advanced. 
their personal mm-hmm. quests like was really interesting to me as like like and just seeing like sex as a as a tool as part of that character aspect was just right was was fascinating so it's like when people just say like oh yeah Baldur's Gate's the game where you bang everyone it's, it's like no it's like yeah it's a game it about really people to... and yeah like age really hard for some of them it's like god damn it Holson, right. I had to wait 70 <laughs> hours for this moment yeah it was real good but 70 hours mm. is a long time 70 um, hours and one really freaking hard fight but it's like but but that was that was the fascinating part of it like it was not like romance and sex in this game never feels like a reward like it just like like it is part of the world it is part of these characters it is part of the way they engage with you as the player and engage with the world around them and i like that was just really interesting to me so like to the kind of like it so like I I know you said like like some people are like are, are prudish about some of the the context of what they've heard about the sex of these games but it's like I almost feel like I'm kind of that person sometimes when people are like oh yeah Baldur's Gate three is the honey and it's, like, it's not all about sex mm. like it's, it's just like mm. if, you, if you look at the context and it's like I feel very mm. like a weird nerd doing that sometimes it's like I just want you to like these no. characters but not no, yeah, in but... that way but also not in that way right. Cause like I, I had a conversation with it, uh, with like some coworkers about it, where it, it felt like I was having to, like, explain the difference between like a character coming onto you and getting to the end of the relationship with like zero friction. Like that's just not how this game is even structured. Like it's mm. like down to its code. Like you can ruin a relationship very fast. It's not like, you know, people people flirting is not is not sex. People flirting mm. is not a relationship. It is just like a thing that naturally mm-hmm. happens and can evolve into something more depending on how you pursue it. And I think there are like some conversations where it, I feel like it, 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 it tends to happen under the, under the guise of like attempting to be like an ally to queer people, to women be, being like, Oh, you know, this, this game's framing these characters in this way. And I was like, I just, again, like, like you're saying, James, like the context is so important to talk about these things. And it doesn't feel like, a lot of people are that interested in taking the next step to examine that part because they are already uncomfortable baseline with what's happening. I love yeah. this game. <laughs> also, a uh, fun point of fact that I'm pretty sure people have heard before, it's very interesting in terms of sex with this game that all of the men, all of the main male characters are dealing with some kind of sexual trauma and none of the women mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. So I, I guess this is the point where we we can talk about the Gale romance thing because I have to like I I got to like <laughs> allude to it on Blood God once, but I have to talk about I need y'all to like s- like take a walk with me <laughs> in this because there's like so, so for those that don't know if you, if you didn't if you didn't pursue the Gale romance there are there's like a, a divergent scene where Gale can have you can have like a very kind of you know standard romp on a on a bed that he makes with magic in the middle of the forest or he does this thing. Well, because like at this point, he, like he believes his life is worth it because Elmister um, came up to him and was like, "Hey, kill yourself," and then, you know, walked away. Uh, so he's like dealing with his own mortality and like what he, what he can do in the time that he has left, and he wants to take you to like he he, he conjures with his magic he, to a, his study uh, in Waterdeep and kind of wants to give you like quote unquote the perfect night. And you can, if you so choose, you can kind of be like, "I don't really need you to like you know." show me these illusions like I just want to be with you and you know that is a perfectly valid way to go about that scene but I was like okay I know that you like you think that your life is forfeit even though like I'm telling you like no we're gonna find some other way for this to go down 
So I'm going to at least give this to you because I know this is what you feel like you want to give me. And I'm going to let you, you know, just have at it. And then he astral projects you and your spirits into the void and then cl basically clones himself in that. And you have like a foursome just like floating through space. Um, okay. I had to like get on a Discord call with Eric and I was like, I need you to watch this and like process this with me because I I need to know the AO3 the account normal, of whoever wrote that. Weekday afternoon, you know. And as because like it, it it tickles that part of my brain that grew up in like you know in in fandom in fan fiction in like the absolute like most uh, you know extravagant expressions of romance and sex in all of all of the fandom stuff that I've ever been involved in. And I was just like, I, I was kind of just like dumbfounded at that. It got to like, again, like that it went from the idea phase to them putting that in the game. Cause like, it's not like, I mean, it's, it's as, as explicit as it can be given the specifics of what's happening. Um, but cause like, it's not, it's like, I mean, it's like softcore porn, I guess we'll say it. Cause like, I, I had an interview with the Larian team about sex in this game and kind of um, how they, they took a lot of inspiration from like prestige television. Um, I think American mm. Gods was one of the ones that they specifically mm. pointed okay. out. Yeah. Um, and it is wild. Cause like, you know, we've had, you know, kind of like, like well-produced sex scenes in, again, like we, we keep alluding to Bioware cause I do think like even with the CRPG sort of structure, like I, I do think the, the social aspects of this game are very much clearly drawing Bioware inspiration. And, you know, those have all been, you know, the Bioware stuff is good to not so good, depending on which relationship you're going through. But just, like, the level of production and willingness that Larian was willing to go through for each of these to make them not only, you know, fairly explicit, but also very much tailored to every relationship is, like, really commendable to me in a way that I think... And I don't remember who it was, and I apologize for forgetting who it was, but, like, there was this... Um, somebody was tweeting about, like, Baldur's Gate 3's success and acclaim... Uh, like, it kind of speaks to how much success there is to be found in catering to, like, women and queer people who, like, get really, like, in, like, get their fucking nails dirty getting into the dirt of all of this shit that, you know, thrives in places like Tumblr. It thrives in, and it, frankly, it, does, it also thrives in places like Twitter where just, like, people are, like, fixated on characters and relationships. And, you know, if if that scene had not been made into the game somebody would have written it and it would have been on AO3 and I'm just still like you know even four months later I'm still kind of really fascinated by that scene um because it was yeah, again like as well produced as it was like it looks like it took up like a chunk of their budget just like <laughs> one of the most kind of like elaborate scenes in the game I think but also just like it really felt you know tailored to that relationship and all the like the drama that was going on like both, you know, in the relationship specifically, but also just like broadly in the game. Like, here's what, here's Gale's place in the world, and here's what he's feeling about it, and here's how he wants to express his feelings now. Um, just like ten out of ten scene. Bioware, take notes. Like, just <laughs> get like, you you have to live up to that now. I'm sorry. The the thing I want to point out is that like, I we do have one other example that I think is like very close to it, and it's The Witcher Three, and The Witcher mm. Three has some really incredible sex scenes in it, especially tying into the specific characters and what is happening at the time. But like that is Geralt and insert sorceress here. Mm -hmm. And I think to your point, Ken, the really cool thing about BG three, and I've heard repeated over and over again from, from people who do love this game is that 
it's it's not just it's not Geralt centered. It's not like straight dude centered. It's mm-hmm. it's like there is such a love for the 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 expanse of what love can be in this game and what love mm-hmm. is and the, the options are just open and right. it's, it's and also they all tie into the characters so darn well. Mm, mm. I'm just thinking about a bunch of really good uh, romance scenes right now. Don't worry. Uh, it's they all tie into character arcs extremely well and bring their beats in and even the fact that they have multiple different sex scenes for different characters depending on that character's state what state they're in shadow heart has multiple different ones mm-hmm. depending on what routes you take uh even just the fact that they put the halls and stuff in there is commendable but it's it's like his actual the, the like, expanse you... to which they went yeah, yeah, the the Halson like everybody does the whole funny funny bear sex, but his act his other like love mm-hmm. scene is actually really freaking sweet too. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, um hope you I love you. I hope you're prepared. We're going to be at this all night, which is like, okay, great. <laughs> I love this. This is awesome. Mm. I also just love the the scene of it opens on Halson standing just like butt naked in the middle of the woods, just like caressing a tree. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's, he's one with nature. Out. Yeah, yeah. The honestly just the greatest intro to what this dude is about uh just just butt naked in the woods uh i i do want to talk about combat but i feel like we are on a story kick so real quick i want to any story moments we have not talked about yet that we would like to talk about i know we talked about vlakith and the crash that was like a big one for me i love that scene i love that entire thing uh i think one of my other general story standouts which a lot of people have apparently not seen because you do have to go to some lengths to do it. But the entire thing with answer and the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the dragon mm-hmm. underneath Baldur's mm-hmm. gate yep. and discovering the emperor's identity and all that mm-hmm. is so good and so powerful. And also uh, kind of heartbreaking. This, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's where I realize like, this is who the emperor is like the emperor possibly was in a relationship with oh, this no, he, with no they were definitely in love. yeah they were definitely this this was a this was a heaven's word situation <laughs> and, um and the emperor was like nah i want to continue being the emperor and i'm going to just like not even care about this person anymore i'm just done with them i'm moving on to the next and that was that was really cool because that was the moment for me where i was like oh, okay this is who this guy is this is what this guy is about he is manipulating everybody and i'm i'm done with it i'm done with him but that entire section is so good and so powerful i, I do actually i get annoyed when people are like oh act three kind of falls off because act three is where some of my favorite story mm-hmm. stuff happens and i'm like what game did you play Act three is just think non-stop just... bangers like Mm. Every moment I, yeah, I think of it's that because... feels like it could be the climax to any other game, and you would be like, "It's a game unto this fucking itself. rules." And then it's mm-hmm. like, but it just keeps going. There's like 50 million plot points converging. It's great. Yeah, I think it's because a lot of people maybe just did not see certain character stories through, or let them die, or just were were not doing certain things, checking in with their characters, whatever. But even the stuff where like Dame Aelin fucking bat does the Batman Bane breaking over the <laughs> knee thing to the sorcerer is like the greatest thing ever. And Oh, mm, the even just little cap offs, the stuff like the tiefling stories uh, and seeing mm-hmm. Alfira and uh, her girlfriend in the bar up on the roof talking about their future together. I was like, yeah, hell yeah. This, this happened. Cause I made all the good choices up to this point. <laughs> 
and save them at the last light in and all that. Oh, I love this. Uh, any other story moments we want to float forward? Open forum. I like everything. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to see. No, you guys go ahead while I try to think and ruminate. So I think something that we, we and I guess we, we talked primarily about the party. So like in terms of other characters that I think made a big impact on me were the Chosens were like Catherine Thorne. Like as like that intro mm. uh, in, in Moonrise Tower is, is like one of the most striking scenes in this whole game to me. Um, sh- shout out to that uh, one goblin who was just like trying her best, could not uh, <laughs> overcome. Because I do think like for... You know all the, the forces forces of nature that are happening in the, in the backdrop of those villains, like Catherick and Oren specifically. I mean, shout out to Cortez, like he's fine. But like comparatively speaking, like those are two of like the, some of the most like impactful villains in this, or, like just like forces of nature in this game that um, I think are gonna like stick with me for a while. Because like Thorne's also got the um, like the Saren sort of thing that you can do. Like if you pass enough like of uh, like charisma checks, mm-hmm. you can you know, circumvent an entire part of his fight by just, like, chatting him up. And as a person that played, you know, I, I played a warlock, but, like, my, my build was largely built around charisma and, like, getting through dialogue checks instead of having to fight. Um, that just, like, was a very rewarding moment for me. And, like, we haven't really talked that much about, like, our character builds as well. But um, broadly, I try to talk my way out of anything. And that's how I tend to play most of these games. Like, I try to spec in ways that make me have to fight as little as possible. And I think I was constantly rewarded by that in a way, because mm. uh, like I, I even there was, there was one point where I, like I had like I because like combat seems to be like an issue for people in this game, and we'll talk more about that later. I ended up writing the guide for people like, hey, if you want to like avoid combat as much as possible in this game, here's how to do it. And one of my biggest uh, recommendations was that you spec into charisma because you were going to see some of the wildest uh, ways to get around some of these. Uh, situations oh my gosh yes like in act the, two specifically like yeah. the house of the, the house of healing in um in act two and the, the shadow lands where you know you can go in there and there are these like i, I don't I, I don't know the specifics of like the, what's happening like world building wise there but you know the, you find these that's his uh, brother that's that's thorm's brother that's malice mm-hmm. thorm and you have to no shit. Shit. Yeah. There's there's a bunch of like Thorm named characters who I I'm not sure I don't, how well, many I don't know all if it's his brother brother but yeah he's in that family. yeah 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 they're they're like under the the family name in some way and I it, what is happening in there is they're actually like Sharin they're like worship worshiping Char and practicing Char worship by doing torture on Vivisection, people section I guess uh-huh yeah because yeah. i mean y- you can talk to shadowheart about it if you want and there's some other like lore tidbits you can find by exploring some of the shar ruins in that area that aren't just the gauntlet of shar but um the whole act two is about like saloon and shar and and just like they're mm-hmm. like two sides of the same coin type shit and uh yeah that, yeah but but there was the scene in, in house feeling where you go and like okay they're torturing people and as that conversation is going on like clearly like they, their violent intent is growing and i had a, a charisma check where i was like you know in, in the framework of what they were talking about where they're like oh you know uh, these nurses need to study more they need you know more subjects and i was like uh, i don't trust them to uh, they, they don't seem like they have a practice hand or something like that and then he's like well what would you suggest another charisma check and i was like they should practice on somebody that uh is more experienced and, and you know whatever whatever it was and he was like oh yeah okay I'll, I'll get down on the table and then they can <laughs> they can practice on me and then because like you know whatever's going on in their head 
it's you know whatever but in, you know the reality is that they are murdering people and they're stabbing them to death and so i circumvented that entire fight because they murdered him for me and that was all mm-hmm. because i like had specs in that way and it's like moments like that where like i could have you know it, it could have been a bloodbath in here where i lost you know all my spell slots before i got to whatever's on the, the other side of this building and just like having those moments constantly where i felt like so rewarded by spanish talking shit is it like very much colored my experience with Baldur's Gate three? I am I am missing having high charisma on my monk. Like I love I love my mm. monk. Like <laughs> he punches seven million things and does three hundred damage. But um, oh, you you're doing that build too? Huh? He he's yeah. great, but also like that was like the fun thing about my paladin was like, and like this plays into the combat as well. I really enjoy the combat in this game, and but but the way I play my pal- paladin as a character is like. We're all going to be nice. We're all going to like. I'm going to charm people. I'm going to persuade them. And it's like, but it's like the second like that someone crossed the line, it was like, nope, mace face, yours mm-hmm. die. Um, but like that was the, that was the fun part of being like having that ex- that that freedom to play that character the way it was like. I can get away with a lot of like being charming and persuading and like talking people into getting what I wanted out of it, and then like not being able to do that as much as on my monk has been. It's been mm. somewhat of a challenge, especially as I'm playing on tactician. But um, mm. but I, but and and it speak it speaks to the sort of the the many different ways you can build your character in this web. It's like this game can either be a relatively, I don't want to say a cakewalk, but it can be a relatively mm. frictionless game where it's like you can talk your way out of so many situations where, it, not to once again on rag on Bioware games, but like. <laughs> there are a lot of there are a lot of moments in the Mass Effect and then Dragon Age games where it's like we see where you're going with this, but no, you really need to have this boss fight. Like, sorry, right. deal with it. Combat yeah. begins. Uh, whereas, whereas this game is just like, nope. Like, congratulations, you talked yourself out of that one. Here's some mm. experience. Well done. And and I absolutely adore that as much as I love the actual act of like engaging in combat in this game as well. Right. Uh, if I can throw just. Uh, a few quick ones in but stuff like auntie ethel in act Mm. one uh or in act two the random dude you find that's just like hunting people Mm. is uh is really interesting and i I like that this game is really willing to just have these narrow side quests that happen that some of them do kind of build up over the course of the story and like the tiefling stuff and all that does eventually build up to some big payoffs at the end if you follow them through but I also like that this does feel like an adventure. Baldur's Gate 3 does frequently make you feel like you're playing a session of D&D and you're just kind of running into whatever you're dealing with this week. It doesn't have to be plot critical. It can just be this thing that you get sidetracked by. Uh, And I I really, really like that about it. But I do also just in general want to shout out Speak With Dead. I mm-hmm. I was not using it for a big chunk of the game, and then near the end of the game, I forgot what encounter it was. It might have even been the the Orin encounter because I went into Orin's bedroom after the fight, and there was a corpse in there, two corpses actually. And I was like, I wonder if I can speak with dead on them. I just had the stray thought, and I did, and I learned so much. Mm-hmm. I learned so much stuff. And it, it, it made me suddenly start going like speak with dead every time I could and just running around <laughs> to if I could do that, I would. And you get such cool, interesting bits of lore from everybody if you do that stuff. 
And you can also trick it by doing disguise self and then speak with dead. So that way you can talk to people that you murdered. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I love that there is so much, not just mechanical depth to that, but also narrative depth within mm. the mechanical complexity that there's so much speak with dead. There's so much uh, speak with animal mm. and even just random moments where you can use your abilities to commune with things in ways that don't always like like seem obvious but you can make it work and the game will adapt to it and address that and i love that about this game it, it makes playthroughs feel fresh even when i'm now running back through a lot of the same situations that i'm used to through early access and my my first playthrough now my second one uh it, it doesn't feel old yet so yeah yeah and it feels like like getting that context feels like a reward that few other games mm -hmm. can really mm -hmm. capture mm -hmm. like i think like one of like i am that person that when i'm when i'm playing a game like this or when i'm playing a bioware rpg it's like yeah i'm on my 17th playthrough but i'm gonna make the exact same choices i'm gonna romance the exact mm. same character i'm gonna like like Baldur's gate 3 has been the rare game where i have slightly modified that um in some ways but it's like one the story moment I wanted to to give out a shout out to sort of plays into that like the first time when you are investigating the bar cultists in Act Three, mm -hmm. and you go through all that rigmarole of picking up clan parts and all that, and like you you get to it, and then you go to that tribunal, and it's fucking Saravok and Chevis sitting right in front it's of you, Saravok. I mm. lost my mind like i was uh, like don't bring jahira or minsk to that fight because you're gonna have a bad time so that was, that was that's the thing i'm gonna do cool like thing, i did i did not bring them the first time and i was kicking myself after it because it's like that was the one thing i i i, I did spoil to my brother because like i knew like he was waiting for the xbox version but i knew it was gonna be it's like i need someone else who understands this <laughs> to to like I need to say the word Saravok Anchev out loud, and someone has to recognize that. Like, <laughs> I was I was going insane, and I loved that whole conversation um, with him and the way that played out. But also, like like I am literally just in my dark urge playthrough. Like like the last save I made is just before that conversation, and like I cannot wait to see. I brought Minsk and Jahira with me this time because I wanted I wanted the context of them seeing it. But it's like obviously we are talking spoilers, but like the big reveal of the Dark Urge storyline is that you are like the player character from Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. You are like Orin. You are a ball spawn. Like, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. getting to see how that is going to impact on that conversation I was just like, like, and it's like the weirdest thing to get nerdy about. It's like, I'm going to get so much more context out of this cutscene. And, and like, the fact that this game can do that in so many different ways, that, that like, even when you are playing a relatively similar pay playthrough of the game and making similar choices, because, like, as as fun as it is to see the alternatives on TikTok and YouTube and one of like, I'm probably not going to do an asshole run of this game. Like, mm. I'm never going to do the Grove dirty and kill all those tieflings, like... I no, you don't have to. I've seen <laughs> I've seen the screenshot of what happens when you let Will kill Karlak, and it's like, no, I'm good. I'm never going to have that happen in any mm -hmm. of my games ever. Like, no, thank you. But mm -hmm. like, like the fact that you can sort of be that sort of—it's not necessarily narrow-minded, but that sort of dedicated to 
committing to all those sort of choices over and over and still get these different layers of context like depending like mm. what's the background of the character that you're playing what class are they playing did you do the dark urge playthrough or not like what order are you doing these these quests in and like how that interacts like there are just so many different layers and systems to how yeah. this all weaves together like it is i can't believe it exists like it's just incredible right yeah, the, the, the thing, and it, it, this kind of was the crux of my review uh, when when the game came out, was that, like, it's, you know, the game is trying to embody a, a tabletop game where it is kind of accommodating the widest breadth of possible options that, it, that you have at your disposal. And the thing that kind of, like, lingers over this game to me, even to four months later, is that, like, at some point, like we're gonna see the matrix at some point. Everyone is gonna like data mined and like mapped out how to get every possible uh, permutation of every quest and like you know map on to every ability that can cause this reaction or or like every decision that can cause this to happen later in the game. And that like as a person that spent years of his life on the Bioware forums learning that for like all the Mass Effect and Dragon Age games, like that is just something that I know is like a magic that can only last for so long. And the fact that we are four months later still having like huge discoveries come out of this game from people just like playing both both like playing naturally and also you know really like rummaging through the code is like a testament to how ambitious and large this game is in a way that doesn't have to like you know when i say large in a video game context that usually people think like an open world bullshit kind of deal but no like the game is so much like smaller in its scope that it is able to fill out all of that space and so much meaningful other, you know, context, other outcomes, other decisions that you can make, other solutions you can find. Kind of just, like, it's still mind-boggling to think about, and I'd, like, really applaud Larian for, like, it, both in terms of, like, the writing team, but also, like, the coding team and the design team, like, to create something that has so many permutations, big and small, that we are... Four, again, like four months later, we are still learning about this game in a way that I don't think most other games can claim. I wanted to bring up my moment. Um, mm -hmm. Everything in Hell with Raphael yes. is yes. so good. Mm. That, oh, God, was yes. a, that was a truly special experience, both in terms of like narrative and combat, because uh, the first time I went there, I, I went there to steal the hammer, and I managed to steal the hammer and the entire place aggros when you steal the <laughs> hammer. And I am like fighting my way through the halls. I'm getting my ass kicked. Everybody's dying. It's like really hard, like this gauntlet. And I can see like the portal, like to the, to back to the real world. I'm like, oh God, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. And then I hit the portal and then Raphael shows up and it's like, mm -mm -mm. I literally screamed, and then I screamed mm. again when the actual fight starts, and he starts singing it. Yes. It is a mm -hmm. special moment in that will I will always like remember fondly mm. because that is that's some special shit that gets buried like three hundred hours into the game that you can easily miss if you're not mm. paying attention or you just don't go down like whatever rabbit hole you, it takes to go down to get to that point oh man that's a special fight that's a fun mm. fight and then i just auto's irresistible danced him to death so. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun 
Yeah, that whole sequence was one of the most, like, video game-ass video game things I've ever done in that game, where I, like, when it became clear to me, like, okay, everyone's gonna aggro as soon as I walk out of this door, I was, like, I started to <laughs> kind of plan around that, because, like, I, I got wiped the first time. So what I ended up doing was, like, I had my character stay with the hammer, and I had, and I grouped, like, I, I grouped off all my other party members, and they went to the jail, where Hope is, and I got my character to take the hammer, sort of set everything off, but I used, I, I went to the inventory and sent the hammer to Carla. Oh, so okay. Not only not only was she there to you know, deal with that fight, but also she just had like a really great weapon the entire time. And then so they all got hope out, and then I, so I had to like switch back and forth between the my group and my main character, and basically just like funnel them into the exit with you know the the, the group they were all fighting, you know actually. In a, in a normal way where I made my character turn invisible and just, like, sneak to the exit. <laughs> and initially I was like, okay, if I had to get one character there, I can just, uh, you know, I can just make a break for it. But then there's, like, oh, everybody has to get to the portal before you can leave. So, but that was, like, one of, like, the most entertaining moments from, like, a gameplay perspective of me figuring out, okay, I've learned enough about all these systems that I know that I can kind of tease this a little bit if I am strategic about it. Um, and so that was just, like very memorable to me in, in that way. But the thing that fucked me up was the song started when my character got to the room. The fight hadn't even started yet, and it Aww. terrified me. Because I thought it I thought it was, like, meant to be like, oh, Raphael is coming. He is almost here. And he, like, he is singing at you and, like, leading some, like, huge <laughs> charge. And so, like, I missed out on, like, the initial moment of, like, the fight starting and the music starting. But I, I got, like, a new, uh, very special terror uh, all for myself. Because the game bugged out. I had a similar moment with that. The first time I got to that room, um, like, I didn't wipe immediately. It's like the first thing, like, the, the song didn't play, but the first thing that Raphael would do, you know, like, a lot of the times that I was quick loading it, because I was that fiendish person who pressed F5 every second mm. in this game, but, um, but, like, the first thing he would, like, he would just delete hope off the map. Mm -hmm. Like, and it was just like, well, like, I, so I can't do this. Like, so I had to go back a few saves, and like, I got there, and then it kicked in the second time. And like, like with you, Ken, it scared the shit out of me. I was just like, mm -hmm. "What is? What is this? What? what no, no, no!" <laughs> when you hear special boss music like that, you know you're about to get your shit wrecked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that fight is honestly like such a fun fight. Uh, I can we talk about combat now? Yes. Yeah, I think we're, okay. we're at that point. Everyone who is afraid of this combat is weak. Yes, <laughs> not survive the winter. <laughs> um, I, I look every year that people decide to have the discussion about like is turn based good and stuff like that. I'm like, just go back to fucking playing Spider Man or whatever. I don't care. But like, I, I love the combat in this game just for how much it gives you options. That there is an entire way of playing this game called barrel mancy where you just mm -hmm. fill a yep. room with barrels to explode people and you can do all these incredible little details like throwing items like even just auntie ethel great example you're in that fight and she lights the cage that myrtle is in on fire and you have to actually have water or a water spell and douse the flames so she does not burn or the cage does not get destroyed and drop her into a pit like that's such an interesting little nuance and there's so many times in this game where you can do things like that where you can mm. 
interact with things in interesting ways. I just learned the other night about a, a cheese, quote unquote. I, I honestly don't like using cheese in the context of this game because unless you are doing something like the Owlbear Grimforge thing, um, <laughs> I don't even as, as long as you're like game. playing, as long as you're playing within like the systems, I think it's all fair game, but uh, you can get the devil sight ability and you'll be able to see in the dark and have advantage on anybody who is in magical darkness. And so there are a bunch of fights where you can put magical darkness down and the enemy will have disadvantage on you and you will have advantage on them <laughs> because you see super well. And that's like a way to give yourself this incredibly good thing of having advantage. And even just the ways that they teach you of this is how D and D combat works. This is how you can give yourself bonuses. This is how you can give yourself potential negatives i'm i'm using stuff like great weapon master on lazel this time around which means that i i whiff a lot but when i hit that sword slams <laughs> and uh i i really love the combat in this game i it's not perfect at times there are ways in which i ways in which it's broken that i think are fun and have been fun to explore and experiment with like making a tavern brawler monk which is my current dark urge playthrough uh is just stupidly broken in so many ways but uh also ways in which it kind of gets funky or like hitches on things mm. but honestly it's such a cool adaptation of what makes D D combat and just this sort of can i do this combat so interesting and enjoyable uh and i can't imagine just looking at it and being like oh i i have to play with turn i have to take turns that's i don't want to do that like come on come on what are you doing like mm. enjoy life and the <laughs> oh i don't know i love i love the combat in this game that was one of the things when we were talking about the story stuff earlier and like we're sort of we're struggling to think of an individual moment and like that's that's not a knock on the story it's because there's too many great moments but it's but for me part of it was like the stories i got to tell in combat yeah the things that I, often, combat, yeah. I remember yeah. the most about this game like and because it, like and in because it's challenging in so many ways like that's part of what makes those stories so compelling like the first time i did the assault on moonrise tower um i i i left jahira as like as an npc character um i didn't ask her to come with a party because i thought it was like no you need to stay with the harpers like you need to command them and and also like i didn't i didn't want to replace anyone in my party at that point um but like she would keep charging in despite the fact that like like the npc jahira is good at two things casting cure light wounds and casting sleet storm once <laughs> everything else involved her running like straight into that front line of absolute cultists and dying immediately it's like i can't let jahira die she's jahira like i mm. like i was that moment with karlak when she first meets and it's like do you know who that is and it's like i like my dragonborn doesn't but but karlak i'm with you it's jahira <laughs> um so like i kept slamming my head against that and then like i eventually i went back made like asked her to join me as like one of the small characters then and, and then like that fight was still incredibly hard but having that sort of that narrative moment that you were there with like you were there with the harpers like you were like there's this this faction in D D that has so much history you were there with jahira like this character that i have known for years and years and years fighting alongside her and like you were doing the big damn hero storms the castle moment and it's like the first time doing that as my paladin was just was just so satisfying and then it's stuff like the Raphael fight is just 
incredible. Like the last, the climax of the the Netherbrain fight, where like you're having to like like you were going toe to toe mm. with the dragon. You are like you were summoning in all of your all of your friends and allies to help you out at the last that minute. Is a big like damn hero moment. You are mm. you are like fighting up the sides and then to like you were doing that to then get into the bit where you go beat up a brain who is like you are on floating platforms and the brain is destroying all the platforms and it's all like just that whole moment like it's exhausting to play through at times because like you were thinking about so many options that you can do but also like just the storytelling of it is incredible and right down to like even the most simple fights like i think like there is not a greater feeling in video games this year or in a lot of recent years than the moment in literally any boulders day three combat where you kill someone for the first time and the music switches to that triumphant fanfare of the main theme and it's just like you can do fucking mm. anything after that it does mm. not matter if you have one health and are the last person left standing in your party like you are taking on the world and you are gonna win like mm. it's just like it's so satisfying and it's like yeah i i like spider-man too quite a bit like i like spider-man like i like action <laughs> games they're fun but also miss me with that bullshit like it's just like it's such a it's such a weirdly ignorant way to look at the way that yeah. like to look at the game in such a dismissive manner but at the same time it's like you were missing out on like you can do as many things if not more things than you can in an action game and like spider-man like in the constraints of, or like, not constraints isn't even the right word, like, in the format of this turn-based combat, like, the amount of stuff mm. you can do with physics and the environment and, like, the way you're, like, like, I did not realise until, like, the seventh time I did the Grimforge fight, like, I could just have one of my characters shoot a bow at the the lever to the, the lever, mm -hmm. yeah. to to slam down oh my on him. like God. i was doing like this game oh, no. like did you just learn this I, new <laughs> i was like someone's got to pull the lever yeah i was like and that was that was my paladin like he was there pulling the lever because like he wasn't like he couldn't get close enough and like everyone else was like playing the game of dashing and jumping between all the different platforms when the lava was up and it's like the second like when i did it on my monk and it was just like threw something at it clicked smacked it down it's like it's like the way the combat in this game makes you feel isn't like any other turn-based combat game that I've ever played. And like that's like it's not a knock on the format because I love I love that format, but like yeah, the story that you can tell with with combat mm. in this game is just is so fun and so rewarding. I just like I I can never understand that mindset of wanting to avoid it or wanting or wanting a real time mode. And the interesting uh, thing about that is that combat is so intricate as it is and finding all the different things that you can do and the ways that you can, quote-unquote, cheese encounters. But the most fun that you will ever have in any encounter is if you push someone off a bridge and they die. Yes. Like, God, yes. Like, I, I did that sound my first one. It doesn't matter what kind of, like, seventh-level spell you cast that, you know, completely mm -hmm. obliterates them. If you can push a motherfucker off something and they die, like, there is no better feeling. Mm -hmm. I uh, I pushed Orin off the arena yes. in that fight, 
And then it was like, this is a very obscure reference, but there's an American dad scene where Francine pushes Roger off a cliff. And as he's falling down, he's like, I had the car keys, you stupid bitch. And, I was like, <laughs> and so I pushed Oren off the cliff and, and I was like, oh, wait, she had a lot of loot I wanted. <laughs> it was like that scene where I was like, oh damn and i reloaded and i was like can't push her off <laughs> i had um, i had the same thing the first time around with her it's like she took initiative in the first round turned into a big slayer form and like just bodied my paladin like he was he was on like five health or something and then and like it wasn't his turn next it was it was wills and i was just like well this is gonna go poorly i guess i might yeah. as well just eldritch blast boom yep. straight off the edge mm-hmm. and i was there you go I will give some people some leeway that I, like Baldur's Gate 3's turn-based combat is very dense in a way that I think is kind of unfriendly to a lot of people that mm. maybe, you know, even people that are like light turn-based games are maybe overwhelmed by how many systems are in place, like how the breadth of choice that you have. And I think I was even that way for, I think, a fairly long while in the game. I think there, it took me maybe into like Act 2 or 3 even where... I was still, it still felt like I was getting a grasp on all the abilities that I had and all the ways that I could use them that were, that went beyond just like brute force, get HP down to zero. And so like, I think I, I have a much better grasp of it as I'm doing my second playthrough now where I've kind of like honed in my party's playstyle to be like very AOE focused and about like pushing and shoving people into areas of effect. But I do think, like I, I feel for people that, get so overwhelmed by it that it just kind of becomes a chore to get through because I, I think that has been the sentiment of even people that I love and respect that have had trouble kind of like wrapping their head around how much the game gives you because I think the game gives you an overwhelming amount of shit to work with and it's kind of about finding specific strategies that work with you rather than feeling like you have to take advantage of every single spell and cantrip that you have at your disposal so it, it's very rewarding in that way but it is trying of one's patience I I think the important thing is that number one I like that it takes the D and D idea and kind of gives you icons and, and and like a little task bar so you you have like at a glance everything that you can do and you can always kind of there are a lot of sorting options that I think people maybe don't realize are there that they could maybe direct better but you can choose to I want to sort by spell slot so I I have I know I want to cast like my best level spell so I can just click on my highest level spell slot and just sort by that or I can sort by what class I am or or what options I want to do and I mean it it is turn-based and part of the idea is that you're supposed to like take your time and I think a lot of the early game encounters are about teaching you to hey don't just do damage like pay attention to what's around you use what's around you use spells to control people because if you don't like if you don't figure out hold person early on, that's going to be a real tough time for some of those mm. fights. <laughs> hold person was a lifesaver. Uh, but it, I, I like, I like that there's that depth because it means that when you get later on, I love that spell slots become this reason for you have to go back to camp because camp mm. like, like the campfire is the, the RPG setting that you always return to, right? It is the moment where the narrative happens, where you have that breather that you kind of talk with characters, catch up. It's where a lot of story scenes happen, especially in act one and spell slots, especially with how limited you are early on are the way that the game kind of pushes you to like, Hey, go long rest, go do things back at camp, like go experience the narrative the way that Hades is like, okay, you died, go back home mm-hmm. and talk, talk to, to people. 
Mm. Yeah, I think games that can nail that loop really well are just something special. They're on like a different level. And I think Baldur's Gate 3 very subtly but very wisely does this with its spell slots and its resting and the way it handles healing makes makes healing like a precious commodity that you don't want to like use too much of and that you are eventually going to have to use short rest and long rest to get some of it back uh i, I just like all of that it sees the D system as a way to facilitate narrative storytelling and that's cool uh we are getting pretty long so before we hit a wrap-up how did everybody end the game? Ken, what was your ending? Uh, so, okay. I, as I said earlier, had like a weird attachment to the Guardian and the Emperor that did not ultimately call him a romance. So like nobody can nobody can call me a split fucker. But like <laughs> I I ended up like really gravitating towards that there was this connection between these two people that didn't really go was not really explained and i was able to like kind of fill in the gaps with again like i could write you a book on the the the, the new backstory i've formulated for my Baldur's gate 3 character but when it came to you know we were at this crisis point where we had to decide okay we need an elicit on our team we need somebody with <laughs> the know-how and the, the uh strategic thinking of orpheus i can turn into one myself i can have a car car turn into one Ultimately, like, I had this, like, I, I had multiple mo- moments in the ending where I kind of, like, had a gut check of, like, do I trust the Emperor? Maybe not, but there is, like, something that, again, like, something about this person that I felt this compulsionary need to work with. And ultimately, yeah, okay, so I, I, I sat with the Emperor, I let him eat Orpheus's brain, and then we saved Baldur's Gate. And weirdly enough, that I think that is the ending that is closest to like a quote unquote happy ending for most people. Um, because like it, it was fascinating to watch Eric's playthrough and it go in such a drastically different way. And like somehow it for once in this show, like I picked an ending that had, that was like ended up happy for me uh, as opposed to the other way around. Um, because yeah, like we, the emperor and you kind of like leave on this ter- these terms of um, mutual self-respect. I may have a uh, charisma checked through telling the gift about what happened to Orpheus, and they were like, oh, he attacked me, yeah, that's totally. And everyone believed that, and it was cool. And Lazel, to this day, still believes that's what happened. But, again, like, it all came back to there was this underlying begrudging trust that I had with the Guardian Emperor that kind of just, like, naturally led me to that end state where um, Gail and I moved to Waterdeep and got married and lived happily ever after and don't have to think about the consequences of our actions, you know? Uh, I became a squid. Uh, <laughs> I I was like, I'm not gonna let Carlock become a mind flayer. I don't even think I entertained the notion, and I certainly wasn't gonna let this manipulative dude who's been screwing with everybody uh eat Orpheus when Orpheus needs to return. And Lazel is right there with me, like, you cannot kill Orpheus. Please do not kill Orpheus. I'm not gonna do that to Bazel. So, in the end, I felt it was most in character for my character to make the ultimate sacrifice and become a mind flayer. And so I did and I saved Baldur's gate and everyone hated me for it. Uh, or rather mm-hmm. they didn't hate me. They just didn't want to see me. They, I was the ugly truth of someone who gave the most to give them all their lives back and then was shunned and reviled because as 
Shadow Heart so neatly put it, they probably won't even stock cuttlefish at the bazaar for a while now. <laughs> um, <laughs> no one wants to see a mind flayer around after everything that happened in the city. Uh, and then Shadow Heart left me because Shadow Heart was like, I'm dealing with some shit and my parents just died in front of me while I was dealing with the goddess Shar and I need to like figure out what all that means. And so my mind flare dude was basically just left to try and survive where he could trying to do good with what this new form allowed him while not succumbing to its darkest urges. And, uh, look forward to my fanfic about what that story <laughs> turns into because I fucking love that ending. Mm -hmm. I think it is fucking incredible. I think it is so good. Uh, I know it's not a happy ending. That's why I like it. it this, this, this game gave me a bittersweet, sad, mm. horrible gut wrenching ending that I cannot get enough of. It's it, that is so compelling to me. And, uh, yeah, that, well, what else can I say that I love my ending so much that I literally have been mapping out a fic about what happens after it and what happens to that mind flare tab that is now roaming the streets has become the emperor that he so reviled and killed on top of the netherese brain and all that. Um, yeah, what a fucking game. James, what was your ending like? Mine was, I took, like perhaps the more prototypical happy ending um like i sided with orpheus like i i had that conversation in front of him where we had the hammer and it was like you see this thing that's in my hand it's it's freeing that gift yankee and then it's going in your face like i was just like i was just, mm -hmm. just like you let me down you let lazel down you let us all down like i hate you so i sided with orpheus but then it's like in a selfish way i could not bring myself to make like karmak was never going to become a mind flare. No. Like the moment she said that I was like, nope. Not entertaining that. But it's like I couldn't bring myself to do it. So I convinced Orpheus to do it. Um which was really fascinating because like Lazel would like I brought Lazel in the party for that moment because I wanted to see her tell us like I wanted to see her and tell the Emperor to, to get fucked, but but, like, there's also, like, she has, like, this really interesting understanding about that in a way that Orpheus sort of yells at you for a little bit about does it doing it and then and then he's all right with. But, like, she was she was really fascinatingly understanding of that purpose, which made then, like, the ultimate thing, like, I say Baldur's Gate, destroy the brain, all that. And, like, when you get to that initial ending, and I'd, like... At that point, I had seen a little bit of commentary for, online from, like, people like, oh, well, like, people haven't talked about the Baldur's Gate 3 ending yet, and, like, with the implication that it was bad in some way. And I was fascinated by that, because mm. that that moment on the dock side, I absolutely loved, because it felt mm. like there are a lot of moments in that where like stuff is unresolved and like, well, like stuff just happens and mm. people like, like the party breaks up in such a heartbreaking and weird way. And like, part of that was like, like you watch like Astarian runs away screaming because he's being burned mm -hmm. by the sun. And then like Shadowheart makes a really pithy quip about it after. And it's like, I love you Shadowheart, but, Come on! Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, he's, he's smoking. Really he's smoking right there, and he's like, so you get that moment where like, like 
Astarian runs off. Like in my in my first playthrough, like I was pretty cool on Gale. So like when he goes like after everything we've gone through, and he's like, I'm gonna swim into the Kionthar and get that crown myself. And I was like, cool. I'm never seeing you again. Good luck with that. Um, like so, like you have that coldness, and then like you have that moment with Karlak, which is heartbreaking. Where like she's so close to being ready to die, and then like. I managed, like, I, I convinced her to, to have Will go with her to Avernus, and so, like, so they could figure out a way to, to work through that together, but it also meant they were going away. So it's like, you have all these little moments of, like, the party breaking up, that, like, when it came back round to Lysel and Orpheus, and Orpheus is sitting there going, it's like, I'm gonna die, but I need you to take on the course for me. It's like, I made that persuasion check to Lysel, and I was like, don't go. You have made a life here. You have made friends here. We have just watched most of the party split apart and go their separate ways out of all these different little layers of tragedies. Please. It might seem selfish, but I need you to stay. And like, that did feel really selfish in the moment, but also like, it felt really satisfying to have this like you then get you get the narration at the end where like where the narrator's like you are the hero of Baldur's Gate you save the day like you get that triumphant moment of watching the the city slowly rebuild but I was I was just sitting there it's like like it's like oh, all my friends have gone and then my big handsome bear friend is telling me that he's gonna go and raise an orphanage and that like we should spend some time apart while he does that and it's just like damn. Is 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 this the cost of victory? And like that was fascinating to me. Like that it felt so triumphant, and yet on a personal level, really heartbreaking to see these characters split up and go all their separate ways. And then four months later, now we've had the epilogue. Like I was, I was, I was kind of wary when they, when like, I didn't know until like just a few days before the patch. Like I'd seen some stuff that people had data mined, like a potential new epilogue thing and then Larian started teasing it and I was like I was really wary of what that could be because it's like I liked that my ending felt really sad to me but also really good at the same time like it felt unresolved and I could imagine these different futures for these characters like I didn't want to come back and then have a ver like have a future that wasn't what I had imagined dictated to me by the game but like like in the end like i actually really did like the epilogue and there's, there's some like if you get lysel to to stay and instead of going off with the gift like to like you learn that she has this this newfound appreciation for Faerun and like the world around her and like she's made that connection that my character practically begged her to keep <laughs> and that felt really narratively satisfying and then like, like once again sorry to ken but like getting the hologram of Gale there um, oh, yeah. to inform you that, like, yeah, he fucked around and he found out. Um, mm -hmm. And, like, I did feel quite sad about it, even though, even though I had told him, it's like, good luck with that, fuck off. Like, it was still, it was still so well done because you see, like, like, the way that that hologram acts is so impersonal and dispassionate. And so uncaring, it's like you get to see that potential side of him that, like, that is there as a possibility. So like, even that was really well done. 
and there's like the epilogue adds so many new layers of extra context that I appreciated in a way that I was petrified to learn because I love that original ending so much but I think it really did just amplify the parts of the ending mm. that that I enjoyed the most so it ended up just being really incredibly satisfying yeah Ash how about your ending uh, I told the Emperor to fuck off and I t- made uh, Orpheus a squid I did not kill him when he asked me to kill him and now I guess the Githyanki have like a new squid prince I think I convinced Lazel to stick around. That was fun. Um, and <laughs> me and my two boyfriends are living in a nice house on the edge of nature where we uh, arrange a very intricate schedule where I get Halson for like part of the year and then I get Asterion for the other part of the year and then the part of the year we're all together and it's a big old fun time. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love how varied all the endings have been. Um, Really just a testament to this game. We're again, we're on a time crunch here. So I just want to wrap with one final thing. Uh, You know, I think the, the epilogue kind of leaves a bit of a tease that there might be more to come. I don't, don't know how much I believe that just in terms of whether Larian wants to do a big DLC or not, or whether Wizards of the Coast has anyone left to even Mm -hmm. work with them on said DLC, because that is an important note here is that as of this writing, uh, there's been a lot of layoffs at Hasbro and and Wizards of the Coast. And uh, for more on that, you should read James excellent like year in, in review on, on D and D and the year that it has had, because what a freaking frustrating year that has been Mm. uh, to see turn out that way. Uh, But I, one thing that we as a Normandy show, as as a <laughs> one point Bioware show, how do we think everyone reacts to this? You know, does this is, is this kind of a game that you know Dreadwolf is now going to have to compete with in the future? I mean, I feel like the comparisons are just going to happen purely by virtue of them mm. being in the same genre, the same vibes, high fantasy versus high fantasy, and now uh, you know Dreadwolf has been probably publicly in development and then uh still in development for the entire time that bg3 was like announced and then released Mm. uh how do we think this this changes the landscape for that stuff two cakes i get two cakes (laughs) two cakes (laughs) two cakes see that's that's Uh, my diplomatic response to it but at the same time i do feel very like i love dragon age and mass effect to death like warts and all those are still mm-hmm. some of my favorite series of all time. But yeah, fucking good luck with that. Like, that's going to be yeah. really it, interesting. Mm. And they've got a really hard... Like, not even just like the act that, like... Like, Dreadwolf has been in development for so long and has presumably gone through so many different iterations over the time that Baldur's Gate 3 existed, got tested, came out, and became this huge thing that it is that it feels unfair that it's going to like, it is going to face those comparisons, but it it feels unfair that it's going to have to face those comparisons at the same time, because like there wasn't really a game like this beforehand that could prove that there was an appetite for this sort of an evolution of what Bioware was doing. Like in many ways, like, like the Bioware games that we know and love have sort of like established a trend that no one else has really iterated on until Baldur's Gate three sort of took it to, incredible new heights and levels but at the same time like no one was proving that there was that there was an audience appetite for that thing like especially with dragon age that always felt like 
that felt like the story of those games as they progressed down the line that is like trying to become more and more catering to this idea of like what are people willing to accept out of one of these kinds of games like what are the what are the limits of understandings like how do you how do you broaden the appeal of these very choice driven long fantasy games and like and and get that to to such a big audience and like there was nothing else really to prove that until Baldur's Gate 3 has now done it and millions and millions and millions of players have played it and that's that's still insane to me but at the same time it's just like yeah Bioware you kind of feel screwed and I feel I, I, mm. I feel sad like I'm I'm excited for, for Dreadwolf and whatever Mass Effect 5 ends up being but at the same time it's just like I I sat I sat through one round of Mass Effect discourse with Mass Effect Three. <laughs> I can't. I don't want to do it again with with Baldur's Gate Three. But it just feels like an inevitability at this point. Mm. Yeah, I don't yeah. really. I, I would say I don't envy Bioware having in in theory. Dreadwolf comes out next year. Baldur's Gate Three Mania has been the past four months. Like they don't have time to like make any more hard pivots. Mm. I think they are kind of have to. You know, I, I think that game is probably fairly set at this point. Um, and so I, I think we will probably see more influence of Baldur's Gate 3 on Mass Effect 5 than anything else. Mm. Obviously, it's not going to be like a, a turn-based game, but I think like in terms of like this very dense, systemic uh, RPG that is more reactive than most things can even aspire to be, mm. uh, I think Baldur's Gate 3 is weirdly enough kind of... I, I think it's living up to more of the promise of what Mass Effect initially was than the Mass Effect trilogy even did. Yeah, I, again, like I, I don't, I do not envy the the people that have to make that those those decisions from on high about like how that game is going to change and shift. But regardless, Baldur's Gate Three is like a, a very pivotal moment for choice based RPGs right now. I think I don't think that anyone that makes these kind of games is looking at this and like, oh, we don't need to be taking notes right now. And I think my like. I, I, I don't think I'm, I personally am going to be holding Dreadwolf to that because I think my problems with Dragon Age are largely very uh, very specific to Dragon Age more so than they are like, oh, I'm not, if I don't get this very dense CRPG-ass like, fantasy game again, like, I, I don't think that's really the way that I'm going to look at it, but I do, I do think that is going to be broadly the feeling we get for RPGs from most studios right now is it like oh Baldur's Gate 3 did this why are other games not like this and that has been you know a very big discourse uh, surrounding this game but yeah we'll see we'll, we'll see what they actually managed to pull off in, in the wake of this game Liara knows Eldritch Blast now <laughs> <laughs> any any closing thoughts I mean just game good game, like game. real good uh huh it's, it's definitely not bitter games. it's not at the top of certain websites game of the year lists I do find it kind of interesting seeing other, like, like I say other sites. This, we are not a site. We are Norm DFM. But obviously, we all participate in the act of being in the media for as long as we can continue to be in the media. And seeing other sites do some of their Game of the Year stuff, I am just... It still feels weird to say that as huge as BG3 is, there still seems to be people that aren't playing it and are like i zelda yay i haven't really played bg3 and i'm like what are you doing what are you doing what are you doing come on i and so i i'm not surprised that 
even at the end of the year, I, I guess, like, I was hoping it was going to be BG3 sweep. I feel like Ken, you and I had a very long talk about why Zelda's still probably going to reign supreme, and that has panned out pretty much from, from what I've seen so far of, of all the, the end-of-year talks at various places. But I'm glad, it, I'm glad it got the stage award at Game Awards. I'm glad it got... Uh, on Twitter, an excellent winner speech from Sven Nike, mm. uh, mm-hmm. talking about how money is just the fuel that gets us to where we want to go, and it's the journey that matters. And um, yeah, I really hope this is just a positive force in the industry at a time when we really, really need one. Uh, I, mm. I am always scary that the milkshake duck is just around the corner, but mm. uh, for once, I'm going to hope that there is no duck, except for the ones that that hauls and whittles and, and gives to me mm-hmm. as a present. Mm-hmm. He has this big long speech about how ducks like they fly away, but they know where to come back. And I'm like, oh my god, come on, dude, you're not real. I mean, you're not real, but how are you real? <laughs> That's the thing about this game, though. Is like it is a blessing that it exists, and mm. like yeah. in some way, in some way, saying that feels like like taking out the very real thing that like what what Sven was talking about in his speech that got cut off is like the. It exists through the work of years and years mm. and years of experience of incredibly talented people swinging for the fences yeah. and in large parts nailing it. But at the same time, like they are so good that that magical moment of how does this exist? And like you saying that again mm. and again and again while playing Baldur's Gate 3, like is a, is a testament to that skill because, yeah, it is just the most remarkable thing. I Like there hasn't been a game in the last decade that's made me feel the way that Baldur's Gate 3 has and I I have no idea I have no idea what could possibly happen to 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 make something like that in the next 10. Yeah. Yeah, not to spoil a write up on a certain website that might be going up tomorrow as when recording this but in spite of, you know, it not necessarily being the the game of the year sweep it I think Baldur's Gate 3 is probably one of if not the most important games of the year in terms of the, the year that the industry has had in terms of mm, it being an mm-hmm. example of things mm-hmm. that are possible and also a, a case study in why a lot of video games are not this mm. anymore and right now. And so hopefully a beacon that maybe one day they will be. We can only hope, but for now we have an incredible Baller's Gate 3 and what a wonderful spoiler cast it's been so far. Thank you so much to James and Ash for, for joining us. Please go follow them. Ash is at at Astra. James is at Jay Whitbrook. Follow them at io9 and The Verge. You can follow Ken on Twitter at ShepherdCDR and over at Kotaku. You can follow me at C Moosey over on the Twitters and also at Destructoid and Axe of the Blood God. We are wrapping it up here, but thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to all you guests for coming on. You were wonderful. Thank this you. Is, this was great. Thank you for having us. We went for for two and a half hours. I could have gone for two and a half more. I would say that was that's that's surprisingly lean for what I thought we were going to get into. Uh-huh, we gathered uh-huh. a party and ventured forth. Uh-huh. Mm. All good journeys have to come to an end, though. And so, for Ash, for James, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you in the new year with new episodes of Normandy FM. Oh, 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 oh,